Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Welcome to Tuesday morning. So the government's had this huge cull. Sorry, shuffle around. Sorry, got rid of. Sorry, uh, sacked. And uh, whatever they've done with them. They're old men. They're on the scrap heap. And they'll probably turn up as punters somewhere. I quite liked William Hague. I mean, when you consider he was a precocious little so-and-so at the age of 14 at Tory party conference. But he was fairly articulate. And he, he's done his best, you know, for a man with no hair. Cheryl Cole's hilarious wedding. The more you look at this, the more the more chav it turns out to be. I bet, her, I bet his parents are going, what in God's name has he married? You wait till they meet the rest of her family. Uh, Calabro, thank goodness me, they've got a gay member. We were so worried it was going to be a heterosexual group, but luckily, they're as camp as Christmas trees, and they've got the Concordia up again. Very worrying, that is. Have you seen it? Very spooky. All of that and more this morning. And then I turn on the... I must tell you about the uh, the boiler yesterday. I've decided there is definitely a god. Because, yes, uh, day before yesterday... I uh, go to do some washing up, you know, because I put my Mario Golds on and I thought I might as well do the washing up while I'm here. And so I turned on the hot t- and the boiler didn't fire up because the boiler's in the kitchen. It's a combi and it's quite a good combi and there's nothing in them. I've opened it up and I've had a look. And there's just like a big red thing inside and a few little dials and controls. And so the um, the uh, the water goes through and the, the tap and they go and it lights up. And, you know, it looks like the old geezer used to have over the bath years ago. People over the age of 50 will remember you know, turning on and how dangerous it was having a bath in the early days when it had that little thing over the bath with a pilot light on it. Oh, dear Lord above. Anyway, so so I turn it and it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. And, of course, I go into a bit of a meltdown because if there's one thing I'm not very good at, it's having my life disrupted. I like everything very ordered, very neat. I'm a person of habit and of routine, and I like to stick to those routines. Occasionally, I veer off to the side, and things like having a boiler breakdown on me really kind of throws me into a bit of a panic. So, the other day, because we're, this, this building is so big that we're in, I mean, it is absolutely huge. I mean, it's, it's, it really is like Fort Knox in here. But we've got lots and lots of showers, and very nice they are too. So, I thought, well, it doesn't matter that the shower's not working. What you can do is go into work, take a towel in with you, some shower gel because you can't rely on somebody to leave shower gel here. So I, I come in, and, and I have a shower, and it was, deli- it was really delicious. It was absolutely lovely. In fact, it was actually better than my shower at home. But it was, you know, my, my shower's good. This one was nicer, and it's a glass cubicle, and it was, it was you know, overkeen on glass cubicles. But anyway, so I have the shower here, and I thought... And then I had an interview to do. And uh, it, was, it was a very good interview. It was Ian McShane, who, as you know was the star of Lovejoy and loads of other things as well. I mean, loads of other things. He lives in Santa Monica. And so we had a lot to talk about with Santa Monica, because I went over there to talk to Julie Andrews. And uh, he's in a new film called Hercules, which is... Oh, you've got to see it. This one is big. Plays big on the screen. Big, big on the screen. And there's lots of uh, dark... There's some very funny moments. But there's lots of dark moments in it as well, and it's, it's very good. So he's in that, I think, with his friend John Hurt, who I've got coming in next week for In Conversation. Anyway, so I, I chat to him, and then I finish with him. And I th- on the way home, I'm thinking, what can be wrong with the boiler? Somebody said there might be a reset button. Well, I can't find it. I can't find a reset button. So, and then I thought, on my boiler, on the front of it, I've got an override switch for the central heating. It's a little switch, you pull it down, it goes, uh, first, first little notch goes onto timer, and second notch is central heating on. So I thought, uh, so if, if I take the front of the boiler off, it's just a metal covering, which you probably all got. And I sort of looked at it, and there was no little pilot light lit on, and I thought, oh, God. I, re- I'm, I, I didn't, you know, I'm, it's, it's not the money. I'm not worried about, about the money side of it. If the boiler had broken and it cost two grand, well, then so be it. I'm a good boy at saving, as you know. So I thought, I've got the money there, but I just, I'm too mean to spend it. 
I'd rather come in here and have showers every day. So, anyway, so I take the, the front off the boiler and I think, if I flick the switch down to go onto the central heating, will the boiler ignite? So, with much trepidation in heart and, and a beating heart, thumping away, thinking, if it doesn't, if it doesn't light... I'm going to look really stupid. And I'd already said to my friend Lynn, she said, how are you? I said, I'm great. She loves her son. She's looking forward to this week like there's no tomorrow. She said, oh, it's going to be really hot. And she goes, of course, you'll be staying in. I said, of course I'll be staying in. I can't stand the blasted weather. Hate it. So anyway, so she says, good luck. And I, she said, I do have somebody who come around and fix your boiler. And I, uh, I said, well, I'm going to try this thing. Anyway, so I stand in front of it. I take the front cover off and I look at it. I thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. And so I flick down... The switch, which is central heating on. There's a... And it lights. Well, I practically lit a cigarette to celebrate. And I don't even smoke. Don't even have any cigarettes. I would have rolled up a newspaper or something. And so I went, oh my God, it works. So I turned it off. And then it sort of, it turned itself off. And so I put, put the cover back on again. And I thought, if I turn on the tap in the kitchen. Because that was the thing before. Because it might have lit the central heating, but will will it... Would it light up if I turn the tap on in the kitchen to do the washing up? So again, double prayers, crossed myself twice. I turned on the kitchen tap. It lit! Well, I practically did a dance in the kitchen. I practically did a dance. I was, so, I was so excited. So anyway, I thought, don't, don't mess with it. Don't mess with the boiler. So I turned, turned the tap off, did, did the washing up, and then I didn't touch it again for the night. I thought... And what if it will work this morning? So what I generally do, I, I get up in the morning, I go to the bathroom, pick up my shaver, go to the sitter room, turn the television on, check if anybody's died who's important during the night, and nobody had, so I wasn't particularly aware of that. Watch a few police action programmes, and then I thought, right, let's see if the shower works. So you know what it's like? You turn on the hot tap, and I've got a mixer shower in the bathroom. And so you turn on the hot tap, and then you wait about a minute, and then the hot water comes through. So I turn on the hot tap thinking... Oh, say it doesn't work. <laughs> say, but it's, I thought, it doesn't matter if it doesn't work. I don't really care. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I can go to work and have a shower there because my towel's there and my strawberry shower gel from the body shop. And, uh, and so I, t- I turned it on and then within about a minute and a half, hot water came through. So I, I tweeted this morning. I, I said, absolute bliss, a hot shower first thing in the morning. So I think what it was, it might have just been a little sort of little something. I did change a fuse in one of the plugs. Now, whether or not that, that made any difference to it, I don't know. But I, I was very, very happy, actually. Very, very happy. You know, really, really happy with it. So I, I tweeted how happy I was. And then I spoke to my bank manager, because I speak to her on a daily basis. And uh, I said, we've got to pay, pay the tax. And what she does is she transfers it. Because nowadays, nobody writes cheques out. Nobody does cheques anymore. You know, I've, I have got a cheque book, but I can't think of the last time I ever... Oh, God, I've just remembered I've got to pay another bill. And, um, and so... Uh, she said, right, I'll, I'll transfer the money over, so what, what's the details? So we do that. She goes, right, da-da-da-da-da, pushes button, taxes transferred over. So I went, oh, that's a relief. So we've done that bit. So I'm, I'm quite happy with the way everything's going at the moment. This morning I've got Oz Clark to talk to uh, about wine. So that'll always very... I'm not sure whether we should be drinking it. The producer's all in favour of drinking at 8.30 in the morning. I'm not wild about the idea. So uh, we probably won't actually... Uh, she said, oh, perhaps he'll bring in some wine. I thought, I'm not going to be drinking at 8.30 in the morning. I mean, she's probably used to it, but I mean, I'm not. I'm, like, low low rent. So so that was yesterday, and then it got really hot. So then I watered the hanging baskets, and it really did get too hot. So then I came back inside again. And uh, and then I discovered... Because the day before... On the Saturday... Was it the Saturday? Yes, it was on the Saturday. I'd looked at my phone, and I'd driven down the motorway to see my godchildren, as you know. And lo and behold, it had used up half the battery power. 
I couldn't work out why half the battery had been used up. I was really quite worried, and so I... And, and, and I sat there looking at it, and I had about 36% left. And I hadn't even made a phone call. So anyway, so on the Sunday... I said to a friend of mine who, who knows all about things because he's the gadget guru and he knows about everything. And I said, listen, I said, why is the phone, you know, d- sort of using up all this power? I said, is the battery completely screwed? And he went, no, no, no. So he had a look at it. He went, you know what uses up battery on phone? Having your screen brightness right up full. If you have the brightness on your screen where it says in the in the settings that uses up battery. So we took it down a couple of notches. I could still read it just about. And it's, it's not totally dark. And yesterday, by the time I'd finished the day, even after making my phone calls, I still had 84% battery life on there. So it makes a complete difference. So if your phone is using battery, try turning down the screen brightness. It's either got auto brightness or you can, you can do it manually. And that was the th- worked for me a treat. Absolutely worked for me a treat. So that was, uh, so that, was that. So in all in all, it's actually been quite, quite a successful couple of days. Until Cheryl Cole decides to get married. And, and, then, and the more I thought about it overnight, and I'm glad that all the papers have picked up on exactly what I was saying yesterday, that she's going to be having to call herself Cheryl fernandez Vassini, which makes her sound elevated, but you know she's counsel. You know she's chaff. You know. The trouble is, what she quite clearly doesn't know is that he's loaded anyway. His family are rich. They must be spinning in their proverbial apartment in Monaco. They must be going... Because he's, he's, he's a playboy. He's been a playboy for donkey's years. Ages and ages and ages. His favourite chat-up line to models, because that's the type that go to the sort of nightclubs that he, he goes to, are, uh, do you want to come to St Bart's for Christmas? Uh, only, only in French, because he speaks French. Because he's French. And, uh, unfortunately, Cheryl doesn't speak French. And so what he's done is he's elevated himself. It's a very, very clever trick. She's too dumb to see through it. Because what he's done is nobody knew who he was before. Now everybody knows who he is. He's on the front of all the papers. He's been around for... (laughs) Wouldn't like to imagine him. He's 33, I think. He's been around for a long time. Playboy, picks up lots of models. He's done the rounds. She's dumb girl from the council estate in Newcastle. I mean, the interesting thing I, I was remember thinking is when they said they had the wedding on Mustique, and uh, that's the second time somebody said, uh, how many witnesses? And I remember thinking to myself at the time, so she's got married over there, and I pointed out yesterday on the programme, and I stand by it again, at the moment he's in Hertfordshire, in her house. Now, he lives in Cannes. Hertfordshire, Cannes. Hertfordshire can. I mean, come on. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? There is no chance he's going to stay there and try and run his business. He's a restaurateur. He's going to want to be there, hands-on. So what are they going to do? Is he going to divide his time, or is he going to say, oh, but uh, Cheryl, you must come and leave in Cannes? She doesn't speak French. Her idea of French is we. We. And that's it. That's as far as she gets. She doesn't do anything else like that. So what's she going to do? She isn't going to have anything in common with any of his friends who are all quite well-heeled. He mixes in well-heeled society. She's, she's low rent. She might look fantastic and be the, the hair of L'Oreal. But, I mean, he's, he's been out with loads of models over the years. She doesn't fit. She's got nothing in common with any of his friends at all. You can imagine the parents. Hello? Who is she? Her name's Cheryl Cole. Oh, let's Google her. Oh, my God. <laughs> What's he married into? I predict it'll be over in less than a year. I've just got a feeling. And then, of course, you know, Cheryl, who, who was Cheryl Cole, but before that she was Cheryl Tweedy, and now she's going to be Cheryl Fernandez Versini, which, of course, she didn't tell three-quarters of her family. I suppose because if they turned up, he'd have gone, who, who are these people? 
uh, it's my family, Chuck. Uh, this is this is my brother, and this is my mum, and this is the wayward brother, and this is and and these are my friends who are shoplifters, and these are these are other. And he's going to go. I maybe not think this. I maybe think we'd be, uh, she can't. I mean, what's she going to do when he's out working the restaurant? She's going to sit on a bar stool sipping pina colada. And then, she, of course, she's going to show herself up, because once she gets drunk, she falls off the chair, and then you start going, don't you talk to me! You know, she's going to be like that. You know it's going to go pear-shaped. He thinks she's glam. He does. Um, do you think she said to him, would you like to come home and see where I were brought up? He's going to go, we're going to be attacked. He's not going to like it at all. But as I say, remember you heard it first on LBC. Steve Allen on LBC. Nick Ferrari and the team this morning. School's chief, Sir Michael Wilshaw, joins Nick to take your calls. Plus, as the chair of the inquiry into the abuse at Westminster steps down, Nick will be asking what's next for the investigation. Can we trust the government to sort it out? <coughs> Excuse me. And can Britain afford a new spaceport? Nick and the team at seven. Nicky Cox, MBE, editor of First News, the weekly newspaper for young people, will be looking through the papers this morning. Lee Baldry's obviously driving home after his uh, roulette shift, says, I'm absolutely wetting myself at your Cheryl Cole rant. But it's true, though, isn't it? It's absolutely true. Well, I'm, I did come up with another theory. You don't think she's pregnant, do you? You don't think she's pregnant. She's gone, uh, way eight, and uh, perhaps we get married, and he's gone, get rid. And she's gone, no, we're going to get married. Because I can only hazard a guess that the reason there were only four people at the wedding uh, is the fact that if she turned up with her family en masse... A, you'd have to find somewhere to park all the trailers. And secondly, you'd have to be thinking about they'd be getting drunk and embarrassing. He's got a restaurant. But, as I pointed out before, and it's so patently obvious, he's not known. He's been a playboy. He's known on the scene. He's known in Monaco. He's known in Nice. He's known in Cannes. The family are very well healed. And now they've got Cheryl Cole on board, who will have nothing in common. You know, it's it's the Roman Abramovich situation. You know, girlfriend, wife, or whatever she is at the moment. Uh, very well healed, very well titled, knows lots of friends, cultured and everything else. Roman, market trader. Loads of money, but nothing else. Cheryl Cole, no class. Looks fantastic, but then you might as well get one of those sort of blow-up things and sit it in the corner. Put some nice hair on it and paint its lips red, and then you've got the same thing. It doesn't look any different. Bev says, I'll give it six months. I'm erring on the side of caution and saying a year, because... He's got, I mean, do you think they're going to have a nice family picture of, her, of, of his family standing there, looking all, all fantastic in nice suits, and her family standing there in, in trainers and tracksuits? You could just see it, can't you? Juicy, whatever it is, that, that sort of stuff that they wear. Pink tracksuits for the, for, the, uh, for, the, for the Cheryl Cole family. Juicy couture, that's it. I can oh, trust you to know what it is. Trust you to, because she, she would know, wouldn't she? The woman who drinks at 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, I just find the whole thing so odd. And I fear for her, because it's very nice for her to sit there. And, 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 listen, don't take my word for it. Watch the Graham Norton interview with her, where she sits there and she just smiles, because that's all she can do. Can you smile? When it comes to having a conversation, she hasn't really got a lot to say for herself, because she doesn't know anything. She's not bright enough to know things. She's, she's as far as you can go based on looks. And it's very sweet, and it's very lovely and very funny. She'll be sitting there. It reminds me of the story years ago of, um, of a book written by a woman called Jacqueline Suzanne, and I think it was called The Beauty Queen. And it was, I think it was The Beauty Queen, or was it something else? I don't, anyway, whatever it was, it was the fictitious story of a woman who is married to the President of the United States. I think it was loosely based on Jackie Kennedy. Anyway, the, in this book, the President gets assassinated. And the, uh, the woman, in, in real life, Jackie Kennedy, didn't have any money. 
There was no money. And the, uh, the family, as you know, in America, were tight, so tight they squeaked. And they didn't like the flat. They were an old, established American family. And all of a sudden, Jackie Kennedy comes along, and uh, people thought she was rich. So in, in Jacqueline Suzanne's book, they t- everybody thinks she's loaded. She, she hasn't got anything. She has to scrape money together. The family don't want to give her any money. In fact, really, they'd be happier if she disappeared. So who does she marry? She marries, well, in, in the real story, Jacqueline Kennedy married Aristotle Onassis, the Greek shipping ugly billionaire. I mean, he was ugly and abused the privilege. I mean, he, he had a daughter. You remember Christina Onassis? Somebody said, that's a lovely fur coat. And she said, I'm naked. It's as simple as that. I mean, this woman was the hairiest alive. She's not with us anymore. But uh, they were loaded. And so Jackie Kennedy marries Aristotle Onassis. In the book, The Beauty Queen, they take it onto a different angle. He gives her everything. He's got all the money in the world. What he doesn't have is any sort of status. He's very rich. He's a Greek shipping magnet. But, you know, he doesn't have any credibility. Marrying Jackie Kennedy gave him that credibility. All of a sudden, people were going, who's this Aristotle Onassis? In the same case as Cheryl Cole, nobody knew who this bloke was in this country. You don't. If, if I'd said, have you ever heard of Jean-Bernard Fernandez Vecini three weeks ago, you'd have gone, no. Now you know who he is. So that's what it's given him. It's done exactly the same. And so when Jackie Kennedy marries Aristotle Onassis, in the book The Beauty Queen... On the first night, she braces herself for having to sleep with this, this really unattractive midget, but he was so loaded. And he'd given a party. Everybody'd been given jewellery. They'd been flown in by private jet. It was real. It was real. Chuck as much as you can at it. And so on the, on the, the, the wedding night, she goes up to her room and she waits. And he comes in. He opens the door and, in the book and he goes, OK, see you tomorrow. And she goes, uh, this is the wedding night. He goes, oh, no, no, no. He said, I married you for status. He said, I've got a mistress which is what Aristotle Onassis had. He had a mistress. He didn't need to actually, you know, want to have sex with Jackie Kennedy because he had a mistress. He wanted her for the status. And that's what I think's happened here. And I think Cheryl, who is actually well-known... I mean, she's not known in America, and I should imagine in France she's known as Diddly Squat. The only reason she turned up at the Cannes Film Festival is because L'Oreal were one of the sponsors. That's the only, otherwise, we go, who is she? They go, um, I don't know, something to do with L'Oreal, just another model. But because she's on the X Factor, because she's sort of, you know, an ex-girls allowed singer and because she's got history, she makes the papers. But what in God's name has she got in common with him? She's got nothing. She can't speak French. I mean, she struggles through English. Do you think they're going to be sitting there saying, you know, when they're having a conversation, um, uh, subtitles? Maybe sub- Perhaps they could have a translator in. Perhaps he could hire a translator. And then, but I said yesterday on the programme, I think it's great. I think what he's got here is another waitress in the restaurant. Because she can do that, uh, YA. Uh, that comes with chips. Scallops comes with chips, OK? And uh, today, we had a special thing put on the menu. Kebab. Kebabs are on the menu today. You can just say it, can't you? <laughs> all in fun, all in fun. But, uh, as I say, watch and wait. Let's see how long it goes, shall we? Let's see how long it goes. Other stories in the papers. William Hague's gone. Uh, well, he will be going. He hasn't actually gone yet. They always announce these things in advance. And, uh, they, but they said here he resigned as Foreign Secretary and revealed he's also stepping down as an MP. He must have made a small fortune. I thought the Angelina Jolie was a little bit tacky, I'm afraid. It's, he pandered all over some Hollywood star and it was a bit embarrassing all round. Uh, they call it in the mirror a bloodbath. I just think it's quite a big shuffle, quite a big shuffle round. Do you not think so? I think it is. I mean, more than a dozen ministers have lost their jobs. And then they're going to bring in people like Esther McVeigh, who, lovely though she is, I don't think she's top-notch. 
you know, and I, and I say that as somebody who's worked with her for a year. I don't know her, but I mean, I've worked with her for a year. And I just think to myself that it's a case of she's, she's just there. She's a bit of totty, but I don't think they know enough about things. I watch people on the television doing question time, and half of them are talking absolute gibberish. Small wonder they get, they get shouted down. Uh, and so Ken Clark, Damien Green, Dominic Grieve, all expected to be replaced. Uh, Angela Smith from, uh, from Labour said Cameron's last-minute attempt to put a female-friendly spin on the government is too little too late. They're, also, they're such bitches, aren't they? Have you noticed? In the House of Commons, they are such bitches. Oh, it's too little, too late. Oh, shut up, you old bag. Goodness sake. Nobody cares. But, uh, so he's gone. I mean, I, I'm not sure whether or not he'll be happy about going. But he's, uh, he's... I quite liked him. As a, as a kid, he was a precocious little so-and-so. But, uh, but you know, it's OK. Uh, always telling him again more on uh, Cheryl Cole's Secret Paradise wedding. It must be quite exciting for her. You know, one-minute council estate, the next-minute court appearance, and then and then the next minute you're marrying on Mustique, and they go, and this house is £11,000 a week. She wasn't there for a week. She was there for a day. A day. But they, but they kind of... And then they ask the, the world expert on marriages to, uh, to pontificate. Who is the Mirror's world expert on marriages? Colleen Nolan... I mean, it doesn't get it doesn't get worse, does it? Really, it does not get worse. It's going to get very hot today, and I only tell you it's going to get very hot because I absolutely hate the heat. I do not do heat. I can't bear it. I could happily sit in a fridge for the rest of my life and and be very happy with it. Very happy. On the subject of uh, of Cheryl, uh, Adam says. Um, uh, would you say she's vapid? It's offering nothing that's stimulating or challenging. She's all I say is watch the interview with Graham Norton, where she just sits there and smiles because you know because I'm worth it, and that's it. I mean, really, she'd be better off getting elocution lessons. I've got nothing against the accent. It's just that she's married into a family who are very well healed. They've got a playboy son. He might or not. Can you imagine if he's connected to our royal family? God in heaven, Cheryl Cole and Prince Harry. <gasps> that would be awful, wouldn't it? I mean, it does, I mean, I thought it was bad enough when Sarah Ferguson crept in there. Sarah Ferguson creeps into the royal family for Prince Andrew because apparently they both used to tell jokes about breaking wind. And, and to be honest with you, she was a bit sort of jolly hockey sticks, but sort of... I mean, when you look at her, she was never slim, Sarah Ferguson. I don't have a thing against fat people, I promise you, because I am a fat person. But, you know, you look at her and they did that It's a Royal Knockout with Prince Edward and that was all a bit naff. And that was where Pr- Prince Edward threw a bit of a queenie fit. Do you remember when, when the press said... Uh, he actually said to the press at the, at the conference, how do you think it's going? And the, and the press went, because they were a bit nonplussed by it, they went, uh, it's OK. And he went, oh, thanks a bunch. That, that you can find on YouTube as well. I remember all these little things. It's so funny, actually. I do love it. Uh, Richard says, Cheryl Cole's new husband's in for a bit of a shock if he gets to see her bottom. What do you mean, if he gets to see her bottom? I should imagine he's seen it already. Do you not think so? Do you not think so? I think so. Uh, and then David Cameron's government blasted last night as uh, Elizabeth Butler Sloss, who's either a baroness, a lady, or any one of a number of other titles they give her, has now stepped down. And she quits less than a week into the job. And and you think she... I mean, to be honest with you, I, th- I thought the buzzword yesterday was, uh, uh, was child sex abuse, paedophilia, within the House of Commons. I couldn't quite believe it. I know it seems a, a little bit probably naive of me to think that there was some paedophile ring operating within Westminster. But the way they talk about it, they make it sound like it was, it was sort of quite a big deal. I don't think it was. I mean, surely we'd have heard it. Well, perhaps we wouldn't have heard about it. I just can't believe it. I just cannot believe it. Mind you, talking of things you can't believe, have you seen on the television Nicky, Nick and Eva Speakman? Have you seen this too? 
he looks like Martina Navratilova, and she looks like she's been dredged up from something. And uh, they do inner calm, because they're life coaches, and they're life coaches. They, they are the sort of people... I mean, let's face it, daytime television is full of people who appear not to have any qualifications. I mean, I think I'm a life coach as well on a daily basis. I think I could possibly, you know, lure people into a life of drink because you listen to this programme after a day and you really can't believe the world is, is as it is. I mean, let's face it, ITV is the, is the, the station that pretended that Peter Andre is, uh, is an unlicensed interior designer. I mean, poor old Pete. I mean, if, if ever anybody looked like the last turkey in the shop on this... Program that he's got, where Pete does a, a week at makeover, where Pete's wearing his sort of dungarees. I mean, he looks like a remnant from play school. And in fact, when you hear him talk, he is a remnant from play school. But Pete's a serious pop star and a contender, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, an assault on the charts. Anyway, quick time check. I'm way late, aren't I? Way late. <laughs> With the latest news headlines, it's Tanya Snugs. William Hague is stepping down from his job as on LBC. Only well, 25 minutes to, uh, to five. So going back to the Speakmans, they are the latest odd twosome who turn up on the television. They're the ones who, remember, helped Kerry coke Toner and uh, to turn her life around into second bankruptcy and uh, Kim Marsh to overcome her motorway anxiety. They're the sort of people who circulate daytime television. They're a bit like sharks and, uh, and they stick them up and they go, oh, they're life coaches. And I go, no, they're not. You know, there is no medical evidence. They have uh, no real evidence to present to you. They're just coming up with a load of old mumbo-jumbo. And you shouldn't feel guilty for laughing at them because they really are a very odd, comical couple. I mean, they look peculiar. I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. I think they actually go straight into the territory that the moment is occupied by Derek Acora and Psychic Sally. You know, OK, I'm feeling here and I look. Oh, she's in the front row. Can't believe it. Amazing. And, of course, that other well-known fraud on the television where... Uh, Yvonne, what's-her-name is, or somebody, is, uh, does the most haunted programme, the biggest pile of rubbish you've ever seen on the television. But that's what it is. I mean, the Speakmans are that ridiculous. It's just a pile of old mumbo-jumbo claptrap, I'm afraid. I could probably come up with it myself. I mean, of course there is a nagging fear that this light approach, writes Ian Highland in his column today, to mental issues could lead to those with genuine life-destroying conditions being viewed the same way. But this is daytime television. View it at your peril. And it, it's true, they're a most peculiar odd couple. He looks like he's had cosmetic surgery and he's come out as a, as a rather strange, butch-looking woman. And she just looks odd anyway. I think it's mumbo-jumbo claptrap, I'm afraid. I don't believe a word of it. And, of course, the people that they're putting on there... It was like when they did Psychic Sally. Is she Psychic Sally? Look at her, the woman with the biggest bum in the entire world. I've never seen one that big. I tell a lie, actually, I have. I climbed out the shower one time and looked at my own. And uh, I looked at Psychic Sally and they used to put people like... Lee Ryan on there. It was all the low-rent stuff. You know, people go, oh, right. Yeah, I'm getting a message from your mummy. Oh, I can't believe it in the front row. I've always, always said it's an entertainment. They're very, very clever when they sell Psychic Sally. It's an entertainment. She's got no more power than you have or I have. We all get inspiration and we can all come up with something. It's like I can say that Lee Baldry is sitting there, you know, wearing a brown shirt in his car and he'll go, it's unbelievable. How does he know this? How does he know it? Because people have fed you the information. You know what goes on with psychics nowadays. It's a, you know, I see it on the television every day and it's amazing how vague they really are. It's, you know, they come on as opposed to saying, I've got your, your aunt here. Her name is Sally Jessup. They don't do that. They go, um, Sally, Susan, something. And somebody go, oh, yes, it's over here. Sally's just passed over. She just passed over. Yeah. And then they start feeding on that. They don't know diddly squat. Load of old claptrap, as Ian Highland uh, knows. So they've, uh, they've raised the Concordia. 
Still no sign of the hero waiter's body. And uh, it's, it's been raised with the help of all these pontoons. And, and it's, it's uncanny. It would be like bringing up the Titanic from the depths. It would be physically impossible to bring up the Titanic from the depths because it would just collapse. At the moment, it's imploding on itself almost on a yearly basis. More of it erodes. And uh, silently, you don't hear the screams. But the insects down there and the creatures, the insects, the creatures that are nibbling away at the ironwork have meant that the ship falls in on itself. I want to know about the Titanic. The only thing I've ever asked is where's the other bit of it? We've only got one half of it. Can we go and see the other bit? There might be something more interesting in the other bit, but they don't seem to have found that bit yet. Because when it broke up, one bit drifted off that way and one bit drifted off the uh, the other way. Oh, and then they, they put through the um, female bishops, haven't they? Loads of people very happy about it. Loads of women very happy about it. Lots of men as well. And Whittacombe not very happy about it. I don't know why. Why can't we move on? Why cannot we move on? I wasn't keen the other day, as I said on the programme, of having, you know, uh, priests dressing down on a Sunday so they're more in keeping with their flock, so jeans and T-shirts, I thought was not really the kind of thing I expect to see a vicar wearing. It's like teachers, I'm expecting a certain standard. I'm expecting a certain standard with sort of Cheryl Cole and her new uh, husbands. But I have a feeling it's all going to go horribly pear-shaped. I want to sh- Would you like to come and live in Hertfordshire? I don't think so, dear. I don't think so. Uh, 8850... Steve at lbc.co.uk. The Cheryl story says, Chris reminds me of Peter Sarsted's song. Where do you go to, my lovely, when you're alone in your bed? And she will be alone in the bed because he's going to be, you know, tell me the thoughts that surround you. I want to look inside your head. Oh, it's clouds. You know, it would be like that. There's nothing, you know, I, I said yesterday, you could probably shine a torch through one ear and it would pop out the other side. I don't think there's anything in the middle, apart from a lot of makeup. Um, uh, hopefully, Steve, she'll, uh, she'll move to Cannes and stay there. She can't... What would she do in Cannes? Cannes is a place, I know, because I've been on holiday once, but it makes me like an expert. And you go to Cannes, and you either sit on the beach, but if you're a a regular person in Cannes, you don't sit on the beach and tan. Nobody wants to look like an old leather cup. People, so people use fake tan. And where would she go? Once you've done shopping on the, on the croisette, and you've done the, the, that's it in Cannes, there's nothing else. People sit in hotel bars, and they drink, and they have, she hasn't got, what she, what can she talk about? I were in uh, Girls Aloud. Sorry? Girl, uh, girls uh, Femme Aloud. F- uh, female. Uh, Mademoiselle Aloud. You know, she's going to struggle with it. It's not going to be the best at Madrid. Of course, she's going to surprise me now, isn't she? She's going to turn up on a TV show and speak fluent French. I think it's unlikely, because it'd have to be with a Geordie accent, you know. Je m'appelle. <laughs> Je m'appelle. Cheryl. Makes her sound like a stripper, doesn't it, really? Mind you, I suppose she couldn't. She could go a worse route. Uh, there's a, a lovely story in the paper. I, I quite like stories like this, but frightening at the same time. We all hear of stories of bodies waking up in mortuaries, you know, and they're just about to sort of start cutting somebody open, or suddenly somebody goes, they're breathing. And they go, are they? Good God, they are. Or failing that, my worst nightmare would be waking up in the fridge, but you're facing the wrong way, and you can't get out, because you can't open the fridges from the inside. You can only open from the outside. You go, Hello? Hello? Can you imagine the, the mortuary attendants? Somebody's come alive. Drag them out there, and, and, and there, there you are, covered with a white sheet. Not very pleasant, is it? But this is the story of a little girl. And uh, she's three years old. They thought she died. And then it shows her father lifting her out of the coffin. Now, it depends whether you believe she died in the first place, or whether you believe it was one of these sort of crackpot kind of things. She'd originally been rushed to hospital on Friday, and and so they then... 
I mean, she was actually in the coffin with the lid on. It was only when one of the relatives lifted the lid in the church that they realised she was breathing. Where in God's name did she... Luckily, she's three. She wouldn't have known what she was in. Perhaps she thought it was like a carry cot. I hope so. Otherwise, she'd be having nightmares for the rest of her life. Anyway, so she, so she sort of comes... She comes up. Let her, anyway, she does die later. Yeah, she dies. Yeah, she does. She, she comes back to life. She wakes up at her own funeral, fleetingly, and then dies. So it's got the happy side and then the sad start. The sad side. It was a, fort- a fortnight later. Walter Walter Williams was about to be embalmed when he awoke in a body bag. He'd been he'd been declared deceased in Mississippi when his pacemaker stopped. I mean, it's it's just absolutely amazing that you know people die and obviously their body goes into some sort of suspended animation. I mean, there are strange things in heaven and earth, aren't there? And then all of a sudden, you come back again. We do hear stories of people who claim to have died, and they said it's all bright lights and colours and things like that. But I mean, I've had nights where I've had a few sherbets and I've had coloured lights and everything. But it's a shame. It's a shame here. The family were desperate uh, for a miracle, but last night it was reported the girl whose name has not been released had died. It's amazing, isn't it, really, that, that something like that can happen? So, you know, you, you, you get there, and then she comes back to life, you get fantastic, and then she dies later. Not so good. Uh, oh, Celebrity Mastermind winner, Naga Manchetti. I think she does the weekend reading on The Breakfast Time. If you saw her, you'd know her. She works with, uh, with Charlie State. And so she's, she's been announced as the second female presenter. It makes such a big deal at the BBC of a female presenter. Like, you know, it's a big, big surprise. And so she's doing Thursday to Saturday. Louise Minchin and Bill Turnbull will do Monday to Wednesday. Oh, horrendously long week, isn't it? Monday, Tuesday. Oh, there you go. You managed three days. Well done, you. Because it's so difficult to read an auto cue, isn't it? Or feeling that sitting there having your makeup put on at this time of the morning. Do you think Louise is in there? I quite like Louise Minchin. I think she's quite nice, actually. I quite like um, Naga Manchetti, but they sort of put her down as, uh, as she's, she, she won um, golf, some golf thing she did. I mean, to be honest with you, I couldn't care less. They all try and pretend they're celebrities. I don't think Louise Minchin will try and pretend she's a celebrity. I'm hoping she sees herself as, a, as just somebody who's imparting the news. Although the moment Bill Turnbull toddled off and did the Strictly Come Dancing, I thought, no, they shouldn't do these things. They shouldn't do them. It's, you know, you cannot have any faith in anybody reading the news when they've gone off there and put makeup on and pranced around like a ninny on the floor. It's just, it's just too embarrassing. You know, you wouldn't see Jeremy Paxman doing that. You really wouldn't. I don't know, you might do. Uh, you'd see, I wonder who they really want on the programme. I don't know. Justin Bieber's in the papers today. He apparently is uh, off at the gym and uh, he's been pumping iron. He's a rather pathetic character, isn't he, Justin Bieber? I don't really know. I'm sure if he turned up in this building, he'd turn up with, a, with an entourage. And somewhere in the middle, you'd find this little well-heeled little boy trying to pretend that he's, like, getting down with the kids and really understanding it. But he doesn't talk like that, does he? He's only a baby, baby. And that's about it. I couldn't tell you any one of his other songs, so he's obviously not. Perhaps he should have married Cheryl Cole. Would have been easier, wouldn't it, if he'd married Cheryl Cole? 84850, Steve, at uk. Uh, Dom says, what are you doing in conversation with Cheryl Cole? Well, I mean, it would be a little bit tedious. There would be a lot of Steve Allen on there. <laughs> and uh, White D is going on Big Brother, Big Payday. She's not on benefits anymore. I bet she comes the next Katie Price. I bloody well hope not. What, going topless? Oh, don't make her sick, for goodness sake. Quarter to five. Steve Allen on LBC. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 12 minutes to, uh, to five. Lovely picture, which I'm going to m- feature in my free podcast later on, of Elliot Wright. 
You know the one who's going out with Chloe Sims in The Only Way is Essex? I mean, he's, he's, he's an old divorcee and she's just old. And they were going off to a nightclub in Epping, Club 196, and she's wearing an evening dress. Where do you think you're going, love? It's Epping. Dear Lord, honestly. I didn't think things would be any worse, but of course it can be, because I was reading in... In Clemmie Moody's column today, Sam and Billy Fahirs, could they be gunning for their own TV makeover show? I mean, it's hilarious. Listen, listen to this. Sam, 23, mental age 7, dropped a huge hint gushing, I'd love to be a female Gok Wan. What, gay and Chinese? How does that work? <laughs> she says, when I started our boutique three years ago, I knew nothing about fashion and now I know a lot. No, you don't know anything, dear. I've seen the shop. I've seen what you wear half the time. You haven't got a clue. Not a clue. Billy and I could be the new Trini and Susanna. What, failed has-beens? Are you really stupid? And then she says here, she's dropped a hint to her boyfriend, Joey Essex. Yeah, you really believe that's a boyfriend, a girlfriend? No, I don't either. And uh, what she wants for Christmas. We are in July, but there again, she's just so busy. She says, I think I'd like a puppy for Christmas. I really like sausage dogs. I've always wanted a pet, but always been busy. So now be great. So, so what you're saying is now you're not busy. So now you haven't got any work, have you, in the pipeline? It's a bit difficult, really, isn't it, when you kind of... Who are you? Sam Fahirs. What do you do? I wear some of these really naff clothes and go out to a thing and have my picture taken, and that's about it. Ian says, who are you? Well, I'm Steve Allen, you know that, because you've just written to me. Are you in a home? Are you on tablets or something? I love it when people say, who are you? You go, well, you've just written to me. I haven't written to you, you've written to me. He says, listen back to what you've said. Oh, God, people do. Thousands and thousands every day in the podcast. And bless you for adding to the... uh, Adding to the pile in. It's very sweet of you. Very sweet of you. And uh, he says here, is this how we want our society? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think, oh, yeah, I think it is. I think it's on the front page of every paper today. You are at home, aren't you? You are, did you have some sort of illness that I'm not aware of? Is it contagious? Have you got spots? You know, because I like to help people out if they've got little illnesses and things like that. But, uh, yeah, and apparently people do want this. Every day. Biggest audience anywhere. Wipes the floor with everybody. Wipes the floor with everybody. And bless you for adding to it. Thank you so much. <sniffs> Big hugs and kisses. I'll send Christo your love as well. He'd, he'd probably like to meet you too. <laughs> and Mark says, a brilliant analysis of Cheryl Tweedy's new marriage. Hilarious and sounds very true. Unusual she kept Cole's name after the divorce. Yes. Oh, listen, I'm, pr- I'm predicting... I mean, what are we saying? Six months to a year? It'll be finished because she'll be going, oh, it was so boring because, you know, I had to sit in the restaurant and sort of greet people at the door. Because he's going to use her as a trophy. And, of course, she's, she's used to being treated differently, I think. <laughs> I am surprised, as I wonder why these people who died didn't have an autopsy. Well, there was one bloke in the paper who was about to have it. They were about to embalm him. Of course, if somebody dies, they don't do autopsies for everybody, Karen, for goodness sake. They don't do autopsies. They don't spend their life doing autopsies. You know, as far as I know, they don't. They didn't do an autopsy on my father. They didn't do one on my mother, because they they died of. Uh, well, my fa- I can't remember what my father died of. I mean, obviously heart failure, but I can't remember what it was. It turned out he only had one kidney, although we couldn't find any evidence of having one removed. So he either went through his whole life with only one, or at some point it was taken out. But he he came from a generation where people didn't talk about hospitally things. And uh, my mother died of cancer, so I suppose then they they know what somebody's died of. They don't need to do an autopsy, do they? Uh, Tom in Canada says, uh, I, you're on a roll today. I love it. Even the accents are getting better. Way, eh? I know the accent. I mean, it's uncanny, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it's as if Cheryl Cole could have actually walked into the studio this morning. I did laugh. I love stories about robbers who get caught. And here is a robber. 
who kicked down a security screen at Barclays in Regent Street to steal almost £1,000 in cash. His name is Teslim Adiibu. He ran from the bank shouting, Robbery, robbery! Ha, ha, ha! I've got all the money! Unfortunately, as he fled, the packets of security dye exploded, covering him in red dye. Ha, 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 ha! <laughs> Here he is, Pratt of the moment. He comes from Edmonton. He's now been jailed for 18 months. On the day of the theft... Uh, the jobless, useless Teslim uh, was told he was not allowed to withdraw any money because he was thousands of pounds in debt. He returned five minutes later, demanding ten grand before smashing through the security screen. He'd inadvertently put the dye packets into his bag, which exploded when he tried to escape. He is so thick. He is so thick, bless his heart. Anyway, he banged his hand on the counter and demanded the money. When the cashier said she'd call the police, he said, Get the police! They're just jokers. Mm. He laughed all the way into court. And then when he was sent... To prison. He's nine grand in debt. He thought his benefits had stopped. I hope they've stopped now, matey. He then went, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And he cried. Lovely, isn't it? I love stuff like that. Always makes me laugh, actually. I love it, all these people. How you manage to get somebody, what sort of stupid bank allows somebody to actually get £9,000 in debt and then turns up threatening the cashier? It's like the police, isn't it, the other day? They have to uh, be nice to people now. Well, I've, I've seen the way that people treat the police. They've got no respect. Like this bloke here, no respect for the police whatsoever. So, in prison, you'll be meeting lots of new friends in there, won't you? Which is lovely. At, uh, at Stansted Airport, says Tim, going on holiday to Mallorca with tired and grumpy wife and the kids. Not used to being, oh, there's nothing worse, is there? And you get to the airport and it's like, stay together. Stay together, because kids want to go. I want to run over. Stay. Where are you going? Come here. It's so annoying. I tended to find chaining them to the luggage was always a fairly good thing to do. It's not that I'm advocating any sort of violence towards children, but when they start running around in an airport where there's loads of people and there's little baggage things wandering in and out and the sort of the carousels moving, and so he said, come, come here! You know what it's like, because we've all been there. And then they go, right, should we go and get some breakfast? OK, because there's always one of those ghastly breakfast places open at the airport, and it's always, you look at the food and you think... Why am I eating this? Oh, don't worry, we're going on holiday. And people, and so you pay exorbitant prices for breakfast. And you eat what is basically rubbish. Stuff that was probably cooked hours previously and they just stick it in the microwave and out it comes for you. And we've all done it, because what else is there to do at the airport? I'll tell you what, let's go and have a wander through WH Smith's. That's always exciting, isn't it? Oh, look, magazines. Oh, magazines. So you stand there reading the magazines. Oh, there's a free chocolate bar with this one. Oh, get that one, that's a good one. Why have you got that one? Free chocolate bar! I remember going on holiday with one of my ex-producers. We didn't go on holiday, I tell her, we didn't go on, we weren't holding hands or kissing or nothing, you know. She just sort of tagged along. I think she was in the luggage for most of the journey. But anyway, so she gets to the airport. What does she buy? Magazines. She's obsessed with magazines. And she bought all the magazines, all the girly magazines, all the women's ones, that had the free gift on the front. She was obsessed with the free gift. Whereas I'm going, what are you going to do with all those? You've now, you now got something else to carry. What are you doing it for? And she said, because it's a free gift. She was almost apologetic. We didn't quite get there. And so you wander around the airport and you go, should we have a look at Duty Free? Oh, not really. I can't really be bothered. Oversized bounty bars and chocolate bar Toblerones as big as your grandmother. And then they've got sort of, you know, big bottles of spirit. And you think, what's the point? What is the blooming point? We're going on holiday. Don't add to the luggage we've got already. Did you, did you bring your passport, kids? Well, they were on the sideboard. Oh, dear. Why can't people remember these things? And you get there, and then the poor person sitting on the other side of the desk. OK, you're checking in today, flying to Magaluf. OK, you'll enjoy it. OK, how many pieces of luggage have you got? Ten. Well, you have to pay extra for that, you know. And so, you know, you discover they're trying to smuggle in half the neighbours. And it's, it's, I find it quite traumatic, actually flying. I'm all right when I'm in the air. 
But I so wish I was rich like Cheryl Cole. I think she's miserable, really. And, uh, and, and then people do it for you. So, you know, you, you pack your own stuff and then somebody comes and takes it away and then gets to the other end in the posh hotels and they take it all out of your suitcase. It's like staying at Windsor Castle. If ever you're invited to stay at Windsor Castle, and of course 99.9% of you will never be invited to stay at Windsor Castle, I also will not be invited. But it doesn't matter. But when you get there, it's like being in the best hotel in the world. They, they take your luggage from you. In fact, you never see it. Your luggage arrives. They take it up to your bedroom. It's all unpacked and hung up. Anything that needs ironing is pressed. Everything is laid out, all your cosmetics, everything. And so when you get into your room, it's all there. It's all done. So that, you know, it's formal tonight or it's semi-casual or whatever. I think they're always formal at uh, Windsor Castle if you're dining with the Queen. And then at the end of your stay, which is generally just a few days, about as long as the Queen can tolerate. And I think by that time, Prince Philip has lost interest in most of the visitors. And so it's all your stuff is then packed up again in your case, but with tissue paper. They wrap it all with black tissue paper and sprayed and everything else, and they fold it all, and it's delivered back downstairs again. It's all terribly posh. Terribly posh. So Cheryl will be doing that shortly, you know, moving from Hertfordshire uh, all the way out to Cannes in the south of France, that's where she'll be going to, and she'll be doing nothing at all. It's going to be a bit of a boring life, because, as I said before, he's going to try and introduce her to his, his friends, and they're going to be going, are we? Uh, you speak French, Cheryl? Why, eh? <laughs> She's not going to know a thing, is she? Uh, Carol says, I've watched the police programmes. What a hoot. How do the police cope with these low-life creeps? Um, well, they just have to. I don't understand why they do as well. I don't understand. But they, they have to be very tolerant. I'm afraid I actually could not be that tolerant. Kevin the Milkman says, you can tell Cheryl's new hubby, it's all right, you've won the bet, I'll give you the fiver when you divorce her. <laughs> could be quite funny, actually, couldn't it, if he has actually done it for a bet. That would be very funny. Um, a couple of years ago, says Leslie, you ask, what happened to Leapy Lee? A couple of years ago? Well, you've come back a couple of years later with, it's like saying, it's like, Years ago, it, uh, what was that other joke? Oh, that's right. It was a tortoise that goes into uh, into a bar, and he asks for a, a whiskey, and the barman says, "We don't serve tortoises." So he pushes him off the bar. Two years later, the tortoise comes back in again. He says to the barman, "What do you do that for?" My favourite though was the white horse who goes into a bar. The barman goes, "Hello." The white horse goes, "Hello," and he says, "The barman goes, we've got a whiskey named after you." And the white horse goes, "What, Eric?" I just like those sort of things. Yes, OAP's uh, behaving badly. That's where Leapy... He's been singing in bars in Mallorca for ages, hasn't he? Long, long time now. Um, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Alex reckons now White D isn't going into the Celebrity Big Brother house. I mean, who cares? Her career's finished. She's over. She's over and trashed. And uh, I just uh, just can't wait for the tax man to clamp down. I think the tax man's going to be looking at her very carefully. Because anybody who goes in the papers and starts talking about, uh, you know, money and how much they're getting and all these kind of things um, is, is, is really just dicing with death. Because the tax man sits there and they look at it very carefully and they go, let's have a close look at her earnings, shall we? We're going to get some money off you. What's the betting? Bankruptcy inside of six months. What's the betting? You could just tell, can't you? These low-life skyvers are all like that. Never done a day's work in her life. Plenty more to come on your second early morning breakfast show of the week. Because it's Tuesday, Lisa Aziz is here at 6.30. Dolly Parton says she'd like, to rec- she'd like to record a dance song. She wants to work on some more upbeat anthems. Well, all of her songs are pitifully sad and depressing. Don't do anything apart from depressing songs. Uh, Carol Vorderman says she's very busy with other work now, which is great, isn't it? Because we like Carol Vorderman. 
And uh, the Church of England has voted to allow women to become bishops for the first time in its history. All of this changing in our lifetime, ladies and gentlemen. Is it uncanny? Isn't it fantastic the way the world is changing? I know Anne Whittacombe's not very happy about it, but she'll get over it. She'll get over it. This is LBC. I'm Steve Allen. All of that and more is coming up next. On FM, online, on your mobile, on LBC. Morning, everybody. So, Haig out, and um, loads of other people out as well. Ken Clark, as Cameron reshuffles. The idea is, if you put more women in the government, it's going to encourage you to vote. I don't think it's going to encourage you to vote at all. You're going to be looking at these people going, why would I want to vote just because you're a woman? How patronising is that? But, uh, anyway, they say that Esther McVeigh is tipped to step up. And uh, Ian Duncan Smith survives, but loads of people don't, I'm afraid. And the migrants facing the charge for NHS care. It's the biggest pile of baloney you've ever read in your entire life. At the moment, they get the free treatment and then they get a bill afterwards. What do they do? They get back on a plane and leave the country. We never get paid a penny piece. And so what they're saying is that they're now going to uh, face a 150% charge for NHS care. And what happens is, it's, it's quite a simple procedure. These people get on planes... They arrive here, they get a taxi, which takes them to an NHS hospital, and they check in. And they get in there, and they have babies, and they have heart surgery. Some of the surgery costs hundreds of thousands of pounds. And then they leave the hospital, they're given a bill, they get back on a plane, they go home, and that's it. And apparently now we get a charge of 150% for doing the same thing. And there's no chance of, re- of recovering this money. What are they going to do? Chase somebody back to the Sudan? and say uh, you owe us £6,000 for an operation. They're now saying that cataract surgery uh, will now cost non-EU patients 2800 And if you want a hip replacement, £12,865. Do you think these people flying in from Sudan and all these other poor countries are going to be coughing up this sort of money? Of course they're not. They're coming here because they can get away with it for free. It's never going to be... They're never going to get this money back. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I mean, even one top doctor has said, so now we're border guards, are we? Now we have to... Sorry, where where have you come from, love? Have you got an NHS card? No, we're not doing the surgery. But I'm going to die. Die. What are we going to do, then? They're going to do the surgery. Doctors are not going to deny somebody the surgery, but they're not going to get the money. I suggest what they say is, if you're coming to this country and you're expecting to check into a hospital, it's going to be like America. You need a credit card. Okay, You just cannot turn up to a hospital in America and go, I want some free treatment. It's only here where we offer this this free treatment, and anybody can fly in from anywhere around the world, and they get everything, from breast augmentation uh, through to heart surgery. I suggest what we do is say to them, do you have a credit card? And if they go no, say, we can't do anything about it. I'm going to, well, I'm going to be really ill. Well, you have to be really ill then, won't you? That's, it's, you know, you're either going to be hard about it, or we're going to be mamby-pamby. So it doesn't make any difference to me where you're saying they're going to be paying 150% for the cost of the treatment because they're not going to be paying anything at all. I mean, somebody says here, we have no problem with international visitors using the NHS as long as they pay for it, just as British families do through their taxes. The whole idea, Mr Hunt, is that they arrive here for free treatment. It's no good giving them a bill afterwards. You should give them the bill beforehand and say, you were here for heart surgery. OK, it's £12,000. you have the means to pay? No, well, we're not doing it. Why should somebody wandering in from another country take precedent over people in this country who've paid in for their whole lives? So it's a load of old rubbish. It really is. They're just not going to not, not, not going to manage anything at all on this one. So that, that, to me, sounds like smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. So here it is, Baroness Butler-Sloss quitting the child sex abuse pro... Who's going to do it now? 
I mean, how long is it? This apparently is going to take, you know, the best part of a couple of years, I would think. And even then, you're not totally sure whether or not the government are going to do a complete whitewash on it or they're going to brush things under the carpet, like they brushed Cyril Smith and the, uh, and the charges against him under the carpet. At the moment, you've got a, a senior uh, peer who's uh, being investigated by the CPS over charges, but because he's got dementia, they're not going to do anything about it. They don't think. That'll be an interesting one. I shall watch that one very carefully. And now... You know, Baroness Elizabeth Butler Sloss has blamed a widespread perception she was not the right person to chair the inquiry. Amid allegations, her late brother, Sir Michael Havers, tried to stop suspected paedophiles being named in the House of Commons. I mean, it's, it's already it's starting to sound a little bit wishy-washy to me. It's not sounding as if we're going to, we're going to get anything at all. I mean, th- th- this inquiry now has no, no chairperson. So how on earth can we, the public, have any confidence in it? Somebody's quit. Having only said less than three or four days ago, I am not going to quit, now she's quit. What do you do? What do you do? The answer is, this will probably never see the light of day. We'll be waiting for ages and you won't get anything. Um, Out of it, you're not going to know anything at all. Ian Hyland, funniest thing on television, apart from talking about the Speakmans, and they really are peculiar, very peculiar. But they had the other woman, didn't they, who was also doing another one of these dreadfully naff shows, and I think she was the super nanny, who again sat in a studio the size of a very small matchbox and pontificated about people's lives. And they just, they're all on daytime television. If you want sort of, uh, you know, somebody to pontificate on a... I mean, one of the girls on the Speakmans had a fear of vomiting. Well, we've all got a fear of vomiting. I mean, it's the most stupid thing I've ever seen them. But this this quacky pair, and I can only call them a quacky pair because, you know, I, I, I just look at them and I think, I'm listening to a load of old claptrap. I'm listening to a load of old hogwash. I'm listening to a lot of old cold calling by the sound of it. So, uh, I mean, you know, you watch them at your peril. It's another gas. Oh, I hope it's not one of my friends who's commissioned it. That would be dreadful. Uh, even I was surprised by the news of Cheryl Cole's secret wedding, says Ian Highland. It's hardly a first time a shocking act by Cheryl has prompted the question... How many witnesses were there? Uh, obviously, he says, I wish the happy couple all the best. Although Cheryl and her PR, that is. Only kidding. I mean, what kind of needy, self-obsessed, cynical media manipulator would get married for a publicity stunt? Yes, I mean, it's, I mean it would be awful, wouldn't it, to think that it was just shameless, cheap publicity. Well, I mean, that would be dreadful, and we wouldn't ever accuse her of that at all. There's a, a bloke here. Drunks and underage youths who assault shop and bar staff if they refused alcohol may face 12 months jail under a new law. Where are they going to put these people? They're not... They're put, in fact, there's another report in one of the papers today saying that they, they're not putting people in prison because they haven't got any room in prison. Feltham is probably uh, fit to busting, I should imagine, which is a Young Offenders Institute. They're all over the country. But now Usdor are claiming many yobs get lenient sentences. Absolutely. I really want to see people fight back. I watched a, a fight back the other day, and it was in, it was one of these American TV programs, shocking videos, and it was a shop man. And in America, they have garages that are open late at night. Not here, where there's a garage open, but it, the shop is locked. If you want something, the man's got to go from behind the counter to go and get it and pushes it under the little grill. They're not going to let you walk in the shop. They're not that stupid, because they know that there are people who, uh, who are just not trustworthy. In this particular case, in America, the guy walks in... And decides that he's going to rob the uh, the storekeeper. Unfortunately, what he doesn't know is that the storekeeper is black belt judo, and uh, and so thus ensues the most amazing fight you've ever seen, where the bloke comes in and then tries to take the money, and the bloke behind the counter thinks you're not having it, and he wrestles him to the ground. He wrestles him to the ground. It's fantastic to watch. It was banged his head against the wall a few times. Eventually, the bloke you know tries to run out, but he doesn't get away with it. He chases him. 
and he drags him down to the ground and he gets arrested and he goes off to prison again because they're all a bit stupid. There was another one the other day. It was a police camera action in this country and it was a bloke who tried to run away from the police and the woman police officer, a hefty-looking woman, brought him to the ground but then he tried to kick her and get away. Luckily, members of the public jumped out of their cars and wrestled him to the ground. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have had a few well-chosen kicks, I'm afraid. I'd have been there. I hate people like that. Absolutely hate them. Scum of the earth, aren't they? Um, what have we got here? Um, this is... Um, oh, I love the story. Oh, this is a good one. Let this be a, a piece of advice to you. A waiter's dream that he and his uh, boss had won the lottery came true, but ended in a nightmare after his employer claimed the million-pound pot. This is somebody called uh, Fatih Oskan, who pestered his boss, Hayati, and I can't pronounce the surname, to play Euro Millions after a vision in January 2012. They always say, oh, I had a vision. His employer laid sole claim to the money. Mr Oskan falsely accused him of stealing the prize ticket, and it went to court. It was a, a nine-pound slip, and they saw CCTV footage of the slip being completed at the restaurant in York. And so he said to the uh, the boss, who's quite clearly a nasty little piece of work, because he wanted to claim it all, uh, you give him £500,000. It's good, isn't it? See, I like stories like that. You know, and so the, uh, the nasty person, who is the boss, Hayati... He's the one who owns the restaurant in York. It's a Turkish restaurant. Quite clearly, he's a, he's a thieving little tow rag. And he, uh, he was going to keep it all. But no, no, no. They've got CCTV footage of them filling in the slip together. And they both paid for it. They did half and half. Half and half. Which was good. Steve, the doctor who pronounced the young girl dead the second time. Was it the same one who declared her dead originally? If so, I hope the family got a second opinion. No, she was definitely dead second time around. Definitely. It's awful, isn't it, really? I'll tell you what the, uh, the weather is a little bit uh, later on. At the moment, I'm not, uh, I can't see the window. We've got the big board up against it, and I'm assuming it's because they're going to be using it today for something. So you can't, you can't actually get to see any daylight at all. Um, 84850, Steve at uk. Uh, Noreen said, glad the boiler was sorted out so quickly. It was an, an act of sheer God. That's what it was. I've decided it was the next miracle that's about to happen. The boiler that came back to life. I mean, it only went off for one day, but I did change, because on the wall underneath it, I've got um, um, a switch, and it has um, a fuse in it. And so I changed the fuse, and then miraculously it worked. I don't know whether or not the fuse was piloting the pilot light, I don't know. But it, it worked, whatever it was. Uh, is she or isn't she expecting? Cheryl, whatever her name is now, I don't think she knows who she is. She's Cheryl when she's singing, because she thinks it, Madonna, you know, Cheryl. But of course, I mean, she's, she's not international. And uh, as we all know, she can't sing for Toffee. It's all studio-based. And I can say that as somebody who heard her rehearsing for something only a short while ago. Tommy Rowe, the folk singer, is at the Beatles Week at the Cavern in August. Very seldom comes to the UK. You'll know him, ladies and gentlemen, Tommy Rowe, for a song called Dizzy. Dizzy, my heart is spin. Yeah, that one. And um, so we never saw him before. But uh, I think a, a trip to Liverpool is due, says Noreen. Chris Montez is also on, but he tours the UK a lot. Saw him a few weeks ago. Yeah, Tommy wrote, must be getting on a bit now, mustn't he? Must be getting on a little bit. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Quick time check for you, just in case you, uh, you worry about these sort of things this morning. It's quarter past five. <laughs> New headlines with Lisa Aziz. William Hague's resigning as Foreign Secretary and is likely... 
It's 5.20. Coming up with Nick Ferrari and the team this morning. Schools Chief Sir Michael Wilshaw joins Nick to take your calls. Plus, as the chair of the inquiry into abuse at Westminster steps down, Nick will be asking, what's next for the investigation? Can we trust the government to sort it out? And can Britain afford a new space port? Looking at the papers today for Nick, it's Nicky Cox, MBE, editor... I know Nicky. Wait a minute. I know Nicky. I know Nicky very well. I've just realised I know Nicky. Editor of First News, the weekly newspaper for young people. I know Nicky. I think it's the same one. I might have to Google a picture of Nicky. I'm pretty certain I know Nicky. And it's because she had a different name, so she might have got married. I don't know. Can we Google a picture of Nicky Cox? Just so I can go whether I know her. (laughs) How funny. It's only just... I've I've been reading that four times now, and I've suddenly realised... Wait a minute. I'm sure I've known Nicky for, for years. Let's have a quick look. Yes, I've known her for donkey's years. Absolutely donkey's years. I mean, since we were, well, a lot younger, put it that way, a lot younger. Oh, how interesting. I didn't know she got an MBE. She kept that one quiet. She was going to come to my birthday party, my 40th. <coughs> and, um, and she didn't, for some reason. I don't, well, anyway, she's in on the papers. I shall, have a, I shall attack her this morning. I shall find out why. Uh, so the best uh, theme park is named as Blackpool. I've been there. Um, and to be honest with you, it costs for a family ticket £94. Seems an absolute fortune to me. I don't know, I mean, perhaps I'm out of touch with Funfair, but I see Funfair rides at a pound and two pounds. If you go to the Funfair, like the one at Hampton Court, which is the big one you go to Irving's, you're paying on average £2.50 for a ride. So if you do four rides, that's, that's £10. But most of them offer a sort of a discount bracelet. Apparently, Alton Towers... Is one hundred and forty-two pounds fifty-six. One hundred and forty-two pounds. But you're going to spend most of your day queuing, aren't you? You're going to be spending so much of the time where you're going to be um, sort of standing in line, going. It's another three hours to wait. Blackpool. We went to Blackpool early in the morning, and already when we walked through the gates, we didn't we didn't buy a, a ticket to go on the rides. We didn't weren't that interested really. Um, we just wanted to watch people go on them, which was which is just as much fun because there's no way I'm going to stand there for two hours queuing. And that's what some people are waiting for, to go on the, on the big one. But if you go to Thorpe Park in Surrey, they say, I mean, I can't believe this price for Thorpe Park, which is, it's a bit chavvy. I don't want to be rude. It's built on the site of a gravel pit. I know, because it was down the road from where I used to live. And they charge there, for a, a family of four, £179.98. How they get that price? I've got no idea. £179.98. That's £180. But you're going to spend half the day queuing. You have to plan. It's like going to Disney. There is a, you need to, if, if you go onto the internet, it, there will probably be advice from people who have been to all these places before saying, right, when you go there, go on the rides that aren't going to be so busy. You know, get those ones over and done without the way. And then if you do this one between this time, people will be having their lunch or this time. And so there's always a way of doing it. Disney, you have to work it out methodically. But as with all these places, I don't know whether or not they do it in this country, but in America, they do what they call fast track. In other words, you spend another $25 or $30 and you go to the front of the queue. You don't have to stand there for two hours because, you know, and it's, it's, it's not necessarily designed for... For rich people, it's designed for people who maybe don't go out that often and they've got young kids. They don't want to stand in the sunshine. If I was going to go to Florida and go to, to Disneyland, I would fast track myself on everything. I don't want to uh, I don't want to be queuing up with everybody else. In fact, when we went to Disney last time, I did a documentary on it and we got uh, what they call backdoored, which meant that there were secret ways into the rides. And we got taken through by Disney officials and we got onto all the rides first. Which is really great, because you sort of emerge actually in the ride. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, 
There's a vile person in the paper today. His name's Jake Schofield. Jake Schofield is alleged to have wiped spit on a referee's back. Anyway, he was found guilty of assault by a disciplinary officer after this disgusting incident following a game. The Moston Valley player was shocked to find out he was barred for the next seven years. (laughs) And claimed the official misunderstood the incident. He said, I didn't want to shake the ref's hand, but my manager told me to. I spat on the floor, which I admit disrespected him. He said he wouldn't shake my hand as I'd spat on it. I said I hadn't. And as it turned, and as he turned, I patted his shoulder. He hopes to appeal. Spitting at 15 years old, it is just the lowest, disgusting thing I've ever... And so you found... get Seven-year ban seems quite harsh, but on the other hand, I kind of applaud it. I'm, you know, seven years does seem a long time for spitting, but, you know, so somebody said, and then you... Oh, I don't think so. You might have all sorts of diseases. Uh, John Barrowman. He says, the rumours linking me to Strictly were funny. I love Saturday Night Television, but the Beeb never asked me to do it. Uh, John Barrowman's going to be one of my special guests this week for In Conversation. We'll have a clip on Friday morning. You know John, he can talk for the country. So you can imagine the both of us together in the same room. It's kind of like fighting it. But I had the same, actually, with um, Arabella Weir the other day from The Fast Show. We... That was that was a very good interview. I had to tell the producer yesterday, you might have to listen to that one a little bit more carefully than usual. There's a few little naughty words have crept in. I don't know how many naughty words were allowed in the course of a programme. <laughs> Not sure if five in the morning kind of qualifies for a few naughty words. Anyway, she was very good. So John Barrowman this weekend for In Conversation and uh, Armstrong and Miller as well will be with me. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a boys' fest this weekend. Five o'clock on Sunday morning followed at six o'clock by Steve Allen live on Sunday, going through the Sunday papers, and then I'm repeated for In Conversation in the evening, just after Clive Bull and just before Duncan Barks. 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. I love all the reviews of the, uh, of the films in the, in the papers. I like that, and they do soap updates. Because they were saying a short while ago that Coronation Street has recorded its lowest audience ever. They really have, have dropped... This is after... Apparently, fans of Coronation Street are deserting over violent storylines. Because I said last week on the programme, and I think I said it the other day, I'm sick to death of... They don't have any good news in soaps. It's either a murder or a rape or, you know, people who've gone mad and stuff like that. Fewer than six million saw a new twist in the Tina McIntyre murder in a Friday night doubleheader. Far cry from the day when 26.6 million watched Hilda Ogden leave, but, of course, there was no competition. There was nothing, was there? Fans have taken to Twitter and TV forums to blast the bloodshed. One said the murder rate is worse than the Bronx. Corrie should get back to what it does best, gentle northern humour. Another tweeted, chances of dying violently at what must be about one in three. The soap's lowest audience was 5.42 million on Easter Sunday, 2009. It's not good, is it? They've all, but then they, I think they do lose their way in soaps. They do get carried away and they do think to themselves, let's, let's, do a, let's have a murder, let's have a train crash. We've had train crashes, we've had murders in Blackpool, they've had all sorts of things in Corrie. And they've had roughly the same over in EastEnders, because once one does it, they all do it. And then Brookside did it to a certain extent. I used to like Brookside. I was a bit of a fan of Brookside. You didn't like it? Oh, I thought some of it was quite good. I, can't, I watched the other day Hollyoaks. Who is it? I don't know who anybody is. Nobody. What is going on there? There's obviously some gay storyline, which I haven't quite fathomed out. I don't know who's who's doing what with whom. And I think there's one bloke in it who's part of the gay storyline who used to be in Emmerdale, but I couldn't tell you his name. And then they've got a few people who've been in, I think, uh, Hollyoaks for years and years and years. And then they've got lots of blonde girls 
and uh, and that that's about all I can tell you about that. I haven't seen anything else for eight. There used to be so many good soaps on the telly, but now they've all descended into this this dreadful, you know, murders and stuff. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. It's it's absolutely awful. Uh, also, Kevin Maguire is talking about the blundering duo, the bunglers who couldn't run a bath. I'd call for an inquiry into the botched inquiry, but the Tory ministers would get that wrong too. The government's foolish appointment of Baroness Butler Sloss stank of bad judgment. We wouldn't ask the sister of South Yorkshire's police chief to investigate Hillsborough, so picking Butler Sloss to probe a sex abuse cover-up was political stupidity, as fingers are pointed at her brother. She deserves credit for recognising the impossibility of her position, but Cameron and May should hang their heads in shame. They were wrong for weeks to block an investigation. When they were made to see the light by MPs and campaigners, the least they could have done was get it right. The chair of a sex abuse inquiry must be like Caesar's wife, above suspicion. Family links should have spelled warning in ten-foot-high letters. Yet incompetence is the hallmark of the condemned coalition. Cameron rarely gets anything right first time round. He's done more U-turns than a lost driver. May has presided over countless immigration fiascos. The passport crisis is on her watch. Her special adviser carried the can in a spat over extremism with Michael Goves. Abu Qatada's deportation was jeopardised when May mixed up her dates. The row over who heads the inquiry is denting the confidence of sex abuse victims. It's another heartbreaking howler from useless Tories unfit to govern. But, of course, you would expect Kevin Maguire to say that. He likes to be controversial. That's why I quite like them with, uh, with, uh, with Andrew Pearce. Uh, what else? I haven't seen that Michael Parkinson interview, says Ian Highland, with the Olympic swimmer Ian Thorpe yet. But can somebody please tell me if it ends with Parky going and you could get this free Parker pen just for coming out? That'd be quite a nice one, wouldn't it? Coming up now to uh, 5.30. With the latest headlines, Lisa Aziz. William Hague is stepping down from his job as Foreign Secretary before... On LBC. Morning, everybody. Tuesday morning in London town. 29 minutes to six. I only mentioned the time. I'm not really particularly interested in giving you a time check. But it's for those people who go, well, how much... Oh, I've got another five minutes before I've got to go. No, I've got to get up now. I've got to get up now because you've got to get ready. And, uh, and it's all got to be good. Mark in Oz, he says, you've gained another listener now as our holiday to the UK is over. What a great city London is. Shame I never visited as often when I lived there. Must be a pleasure to work in Leicester Square. Not this morning it wasn't. We had all the police fans out and everything. There was apparently some running battle going on. And, uh, but I missed it, as always. Typical, isn't it? I always arrive, you know, just when I'm prepared to sort of, you know, roll my sleeves up and get, get stuck into all these things as... Blue flashing lights all over the place. So, uh, no, not necessarily. In fact, we were recommending... In fact, Imran and I have decided, I think, between us... I think he actually decided maybe they should close Leicester Square at night. You know, and literally make it a no-go area. Close the club down and close everything down and just make it a nice, peaceful, quiet area. And we don't want any of these young... Don't they have work to go to? I mean, the amount of children out there... I call them children because mentally they are children with hoodies on... It's slightly intimidating, but uh, the police have to put up with this malarkey most days and probably most cities around the country. It's quite normal, I'm afraid. Uh, read the, uh, the comments about the steam mop, says Mark. Oh, dear. I mean, I, listen, every time I turn on the television, there's a steam mop being advertised, and it's some bloke pushing it over the... Ca- and I'm looking at it thinking, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. It's just... It's like getting a kettle... It's like buying a steamer to get your wallpaper off the walls, only now they put it in green plastic. And they've called it the award-winning steam mop. If, and, and you flip over about three or four channels, and there it is. And there it is. It's, you know, it's, it's a steam mop. 
And I don't know why all of a sudden they go, why spend money on expensive chemicals? Buy a steam mop. You know, use the parasite. The fact you can sort of take your skin off your hands with it. You know, you, sh- you should be really, really careful. Very, very careful with them. But everybody's after you. Everywhere you go now, it's either a steam mop or a juicer. I don't know which one to buy first. I don't want a steam mop. I really don't want a steam mop. I do have the window vacuum cleaner. I got that. Got the window vac. That's very nice. I like that because that's Karcher. And I quite like Karcher products. And that sort of appeals to me. Although I've now got, I've got two. And I tried to give one away. Nobody wants it. I tried to, my brother normally take anything. You know, I can say, oh, would you like this from the boot of the car? Oh, yeah. You mentioned this. He doesn't want it. He's not remotely interested. I said, it's a, it's a, it's a window vacuum cleaner. And he looks at it. Sort of, I was like, are you mad or something? So anyway, so I'm stuck with two of them. Uh, which I don't mind because I could have one in one room and one in another room. Um, but I'm not going to buy a steam mop. I've decided I don't need a steam mop. I really don't need it. I like using chemicals. I'm big into chemicals. You know, given the choice, chemicals or steam mop, chemicals win. But uh, it's very flimsy, says Mark. I bought one, and he says the, the microfiber pad needs constant washing out, and the heating element has packed up. Yeah, because they're rubbish. They're made in China. They're made cheaply, but they, they work on bulk. So, in other words, if you go to the market, you will find them being sold there because a lot of market traders will go to China and they'll buy a container load and that's all they'll sell all summer. They will be selling steam mops. And you see them on the telly at whatever they are, thirty nine ninety nine. they'll be selling them in the market at uh, just under 20 quid. And he'll do a demonstration and I've seen them selling them, you know, shed loads of these things because people want to buy them. And they see it on the telly and then they see the same thing in the market and they're buying it at, you know, a much cheaper price. I'm glad you all liked the butterfly story yesterday. Somebody said that's why your boiler started working again, because you did a good deed. I do a good deed every day, actually. I turn up, I come to work. Some people don't turn up and come to work. Every day I wake up and I come to work. You don't seriously think I enjoy setting the alarm for one o'clock in the morning and going, hooray! <laughs> actually, secretly I do, but I don't tell anybody that. I like to make them think it's a bit, a bit edgier than that first thing in the morning. But we did this butterfly. For those who didn't hear it, we were going to the V&A, and in the road I saw what I thought was a leaf fly flapping around and I looked and it was, turned out to be an exotic butterfly because your hand and it had come from the butterfly house over at the natural history museum where they've got this room you walk into with plants and hundreds and hundreds of butterflies flying around which land on you and everything else and this oh you don't like butterflies oh she can't believe she, she's got mice at home okay now this is a second producer that I've had who's had mice and I'm just looking around the studio for the little box but um and, I, and she said to me, she said, we think we've got a mouse. Anyway, so she's bought one of these things that emits a high-pitched noise. Not sure if it works, because she can't hear the high-pitched noise. But uh, she's obviously got a fit. Like my last producer, I'd say to her, but I'm sure that under all the floors here, we must have mice and rats. And she goes, Stephen, stop it, stop it. And I go, no, there won't be many of them, but there'll be quite a few. Stop it! And I was reminded of that dreadful thing on the television where they went to this farm building, they lifted up this corrugated iron, and millions of rats millions. I've never seen so many rats in my entire life. It was almost like they were, they'd been sort of um, chroma keyed on to something. You know, they were sort of, they weren't even real. But they were. Anyway, so she's not sure. So now butterflies you can't do either. How about Daddy Longlegs? Oh, right. She's better with Daddy Longlegs. But you don't like butterflies. Oh, right. You hate butterflies? Really? That is... God, I thought... They'd... Is that because they might land on you and eat you? Yeah. It's unlikely, of course, butterflies don't do that because they, they just like sweet things like honey and stuff like that and flowers. They don't, they're, very, they're very gentle, but you mustn't pick them up by their wings. You must make them walk onto your hand, but I suspect you couldn't actually do... No. No. Could you do tarantulas or something? Or... Oh, right. Oh, you do tarantulas. How odd, isn't it? It's no, no counting with this woman at all. Mind you, she does drink at 8.30 in the morning. What can I say? 
So, I mean, so I can't do snakes. No matter how many times people say to me, oh, this one's really safe. It's only got to look at me and its little tongue coat. That's enough for me. I really, I mean, if one crawled in this room now, I mean, I've seen people trying to wrestle anacondas. And I look at them, I think, you're mad, aren't you? You're mad. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't want to go anywhere near snakes. And I see people picking them up and I think, no, because I remember the story once and they had a picture of the paper of this guy and the, he was holding the snake and he poked his tongue out at it and the snake stuck its fangs right through his tongue. So you've got the snake, which is practically looking at you with its fangs through his tongue. And it's that thing that has frightened me ever since. <laughs> so I now can't go. Anyway, not that I go near snakes anyway, but I've got listeners who enjoy snakes. Uh, best thing on uh, television at the moment, the Friday night dinner, Channel 4. Really, really funny. I don't think I've seen that one. I, I never understand with these cooking programmes where they go around to people's houses and they, they've all got fads. Oh, I can't eat that. It's a cooking programme. Eat it. I don't want to eat I can't eat that. What is it? I can't, I can't eat it, whatever it is. Is it okra? No, I don't do okra like that. Oh, uh, chicken curry? No, I'm vegetarian. Uh, do you have anything vegetarian? Yes. And what are these people doing on there? The answer is they're egotists. They want to be on the television. Most of them have got one or two screws loose, if not the complete set. And you watch them on the television and then they cook. And, and you look at... I mean, sometimes the food is actually quite nice. And then people go, did you really make this? And they go, yes. How, how did you make it? And they always quiz it, don't they? Because sometimes it's good. Biggins went out and bought his, uh, his pate for a shop. It was so much easier to just do that and then put it into his own little ramekins. <laughs> but he's always very good at things like that. Actually, talking of, um, talking of Biggins, there was a very funny, very funny review of, uh, of this, this cooking programme, this, this MasterChef thing, which I admit I have not seen. I admit I haven't seen it, only because th th there's other things in my life going on, like the boiler and stuff like that, and, uh, and other things. And, and so I, I've not really watched it, but I enjoy reading all the, all the critiques of it, because I love reading what some of the, some of the TV critics say about these programmes on the television, because I sometimes think, are they watching the same programme that I'm watching? Because sometimes they get a completely different slant on it, and sometimes it's actually terribly, terribly funny, and sometimes it's actually quite sad, because they seem to like programmes I don't like, but then other programmes they like, I can't stand. Uh, yes, it's, it's, it's Ali Ross, actually. It's Ali Ross. I only, I'll, I'll read this to you because it's very funny. And he talks about Thursday night. Our semi-finalists have arrived in Warwickshire. And here they are. Uh, Greg Wallace, uh, that marvellously talented and very funny man. And uh, he here has got some real giants of the stage. Amanda Burton, Emma Thompson's sister, Ewan McGregor's mate, Charlie Borman, Wayne Sleep and Biggins. And he says here, so you have to wonder what the thinking was behind the inclusion of rich, flaky faggots in the potluck recipe round. <laughs> he says, thankfully, a minor international incident was avoided when Jodie Kidd stood behind the offending box, which meant the big shock of the MasterChef week was actually provided by the guest judge, Rosemary Schrager, with the announcement, Liverpool tarts are short, crusty and bitter. Because to me, they'll always be Atomic Kitten. And, uh, no, just because every time you see Rosemary Schrager, you do think to yourself, eat more at the salad bar. Do eat more at the salad bar. And she's, she used to appear with amazing regularity on the Alan Titchmarsh show. And every time she used to come on the show, I used to throw things. Because I couldn't stand it. Because she used to do a programme, I think, from Ladette to Lady. Uh, it's where they take a lot of, sort of, scubby people from some council estate somewhere and try and turn them into, uh, into sort of, people of note. 
And it doesn't really work. It's, you know, silk purse, sow's ear. You can't do it. It's like Cheryl Cole, you know, she's always going to be Cheryl Tweedy, isn't she, to everybody in the country. No matter how many times she tries to reinvent herself and try and make out. As I say, I still, I cannot wait for the meeting of the two families. That's going to be so hilarious. It's going to be like the Beverly Hillbillies meets royalty. It's going to be like that. And here come the Tweedy family. Why, I, this is me brother. <laughs> Hello, love. How are you? You could just see it. Oh, it's going to be a disaster. You know, Cheryl tried to give the impression that she's quite cultured, whereas, in fact, she's not at all. Uh, Michael, who is James O'Brien's producer, always up early in the morning, actually. Everybody gets up earlier and earlier. And, um, no, I couldn't, Michael, unless I was pushed. You'd have to ask very nicely to get me to handle a snake. I I just... I I have held a snake before, because a friend of mine used to work the Hippodrome years ago, and he used to walk around with a snake round his shoulders. He used to keep it at home in this vivarium. And, uh, And he got it out for me one day. And I remember thinking, please don't let it. And this thing was enormous. I mean, it was thicker than my wrist. It was huge. And he sa- I said, what, what, what does it eat, trying to, trying to maintain an, an air of interest? But in fact, I couldn't really care less. And he said, oh, it, it's, it eats dead mice. Oh, lovely. And what else? Oh, sort of day-old chicks. Oh, lovely. You think, has it ever had jelly and ice cream? You know, would it do that? But of course, snakes are deaf. So you could happily take them round nightclubs where the music was studied. It wouldn't make any difference to them at all. And people used to come and touch it. I mean, I used to absolutely send myself into another area because I absolutely hated it. And the smaller they are, the worse they are. Because they, they had one in the jungle the other day. It was, it was only about four inches long. And it was bright orange. And I remember thinking, somebody said to me once, if an animal is co- covered in a, in a bright colour, it's to be avoided. It's, it's as a warning to other animals. Don't eat me because I'm not going to taste very nice. Uh, 84850. How do foreign people check into hospitals for free treatment, says James? You just walk into A&E. You just walk in. You don't need to be referred by a GP. You just walk in. You go into uh, A&E. You just, well, I can walk into any A&E and say, uh, I've got this. A friend of mine went in the other day and he said, uh, he said, I think I've got uh, a heart problem. He said, I can't breathe properly. And they rushed him through straight away. You don't need, you don't need to do anything at all. You don't need a referral to go into hospital. That's the, that's the whole idea. Yeah, he was all right, yeah. But, it, but you don't need a referral now. You could just walk in and go, I don't feel very well, and somebody will see you. A nurse will either come out, so that's it. 84850, steve at uh, The other, this is a very odd story. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you in a moment, actually, because it's, 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 it's the story of a prison chief who threw a jailbreak-themed party to celebrate her slasher-thug daughter's release from the Nick. I mean, you, this one you couldn't make up. A prison chief who threw a jailbreak-themed party to celebrate her slasher thug daughter's release from the Nick. It's not right, is it? And then uh, another Brit has drowned after taking hippie crack. And I can't help feeling, you know, really, you take drugs, you only have yourself to blame. If you're stupid enough to take drugs, if you're stupid enough to inhale hippie crack and think that you can walk to the moon, then that's your business. But frankly, I have no sympathy for anybody at all who does things like that. I see more disasters with drugs as drugs permeate society at at every level, at every level. Quick time check, quarter to six. News headlines with Lisa Aziz. Resigning as foreign secretary and is likely to be replaced by defence... Alan on LBC. Coming up with various theories this morning on how we can stop people arriving at the airport, checking themselves into an NH hospital, having free treatment and then disappearing off without paying. The idea that the government are going to say, well, we're going to ask them for 150%, you can't get anything off them now. You know, I think what they should do is either make sure, if you're going to check in, we want a credit card, and we're going to check you've got the credit on there. 
Uh, but the whole idea of these people coming here is for free treatment. That's because they know they can get away with it. We've had people coming in for heart surgery. Simon's idea is that when they turn up at A&E, ask for their passport and keep it until they pay up so they can't leave. Yes, that would be fairly good, wouldn't it? That would be a, f- that would be a fairly popular one. Although all they do is just go and apply for another passport. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's so easy for people to cheat the system. Like people applying for asylum. They, are, they get on a plane with a passport, they rip it up on the plane, flush it down the toilet, get off the other end, asylum. We've seen that time and time again, but it's the, the NHS, it's costing us about £500 million a year, money which can be well spent on people in this country. You know, not people who are turning up for free treatment. If you're in this country and you pay your taxes, I'm hoping a lot of celebrities are paying their taxes. I think 90 days, they're going to be going out this week. Um... And I think that's quite interesting that they're going to give them 90 days to cough up. It's something, it's something like a billion pounds the tax man is going to try and get the, this money back in again. They're going to try and get it back in and they're going to write to these celebrities and say, you're either going to pay up or you're going to be in big trouble. And I think they will have to. It'll be interesting to see which names are in the frames. It's supposed to be confidential, but I bet you anything, bet you anything, people will actually uh, sort of try and get away with it. So here's the story of the prison chief who threw a prison chief, bear, bearing in mind these words here, uh, who, th- who threw a jailbreak-themed party to celebrate her slasher thug daughter's release from the Nick. Rosie Hughes and twin Tamsin, who gave her a false alibi, wore lag-style stripes to the do at her mum Amanda's home. Mrs Hughes now faces a prison services inquiry. She was second in command at a women's prison in Derbyshire as Rosie began her term there for a razor blade attack on a 22-year-old love rival. She's since become deputy governor at another jail. Rosie was high on booze and meow-meow when she went to her victim's home where she punched her and slashed her forehead. Jailed for 44 weeks but was home at the weekend after serving half her sentence. A second former family friend who asked not to be named says, I can't think what a woman in Mandy's position could have been thinking. She's the deputy governor of a prisoner and celebrated her convict daughter getting out with a jail-themed party. It was taking the mickey. God knows what the bosses will think about it. And so these two ugly daughters posed on Facebook where Tamsin bragged about the Rosie Hughes prison break welcome home barbecue. I mean, really. Rosie was jailed in February after admitting assault, theft and having a blade. And uh, Tamsin got 16 weeks suspended for perverting the course of justice. How in God's name has their mother ever become a prison governor? A prison service is investigating. A spokesman said, we expect staff to uphold the reputation of the prison service at all times. Disciplinary procedures exist for those who don't. So she's a prison governor. And she's got two lags for daughters. Doesn't quite sound right, does it? Something wrong there somewhere, I think. Robin Williams is back in rehab. He's got alcohol abuse. And uh, he's battling his demons, as they call it. I thought it would just be called, you know, sort of battling the booze. He's battled all sorts of substances for a long, long time. They seem to do it in America. I don't know why. He's, he seems to have everything going for him. And then all of a sudden, they kind of chuck it to one side and, and give up, I'm afraid. Humane mice and rat repellents do work, says John. I use them very successfully. Yes, I mean, I, um, I've recommended that she gets one of those traps. But she'll be lying in bed at night and all of a sudden she'll hear, thwack! And then, ow! You know, because she'll have trodden on it in the night. Because that's because mice, you know, and people say, what, what, what do you bait a trap with? I know you can get all sorts of things. You can get all sorts of things. I don't think cheese, I don't really think mice go for cheese. I think that's a bit of a myth from Tom and Jerry days. I think they like chocolate or anything like that. But, but when, the, when the trap gets them, it kills them instantly. It's not very pleasant. No, she doesn't want to deal with bodies, you see. She'd have to hold, throw the whole trap out. It would have to just be... Uh, 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 throw it away. 
We used to have them in Hong Kong. We used to have the rat catcher come around all the time. And those rats were big over there. I mean, big. We, as kids, we were fascinated. I didn't want to hold one. And my uh, cousins used to keep um, mice. And I never liked those either. I don't know why. I'm just... I'm not really into mice and rats. I mean, I wouldn't be bothered if I saw one in here, he says, looking round nervously. But uh, I, I just wouldn't want to handle them. I'm told if you have two mice in a cage and they start mating, you'll have about a thousand by the end of the year. You know, they, they, that's all they do. They just, they just breed, I'm afraid. Uh, 84850, Andrew says, a four-inch snake in the jungle is called a worm. What are you like? No, it was definitely a snake. Smallest snake, it was hanging on a, hanging on, on a tree. <laughs> it wasn't a worm, I promise you, please. Uh, Rosemary Schrager, when she was on the uh, AT show, was very nice. All recipes are on the website. In the break, one audience member told Rosemary she couldn't make the item and she had no computer, and Rosemary wrote the recipe out for her. Do I sound as impressed by this? No, I'm afraid. Not at all. <laughs> and another one here. Uh, did you know that the very strange Nick and Eva Speakman um, are best friends with Katie Price? Oh, they'll, they'll latch on to anybody by the sound of it. I remember seeing them pretend to help Katie on her insipid TV show. So, uh, Aussie Dave in Knightsbridge. I mean, but th- they've also hung around with um, Kim Marsh and Kerry Katona, so they're obviously aiming at low rent. I just know they're very, very peculiar. Very, very peculiar. Uh, happy birthday to Junior, says, uh, says Dom. Yes, definitely happy birthday to uh, Junior. And, uh, and Ian says, I'm going to check in for leg angioplasty. Never even heard of that. Leg angioplasty? What in God's name is that one? Uh, Kevin says, there's only one soap that still has normal storylines. That's the Archer's. How old are you? How old are you? Uh, 84850, Um What's the betting? When Carol Vorderman leaves Loose Women, she'll be replaced by Fiona Phillips, says Malcolm. I'm hoping by that time they've actually axed the programme. I mean, it's really, it's, it's gone so far now, I'm bored with seeing it every day. And it's embarrassing. Even the produ- She's a woman, the producer. She does drink. But uh, even she, she thinks it's embarrassing as a woman watching it, because it's just... It's just not very good. You know, I'm sure individually it's all fine, but they're all battling for their own little bit of space. Because Colleen Nolan's not the brightest penny in the box, she has to sort of come up with sort of funny little witticisms and things like that, which aren't funny at all. And, and she's just, she does funny faces into the camera, and then, you know, you hope the wind changes. But it's just, I don't know what it is. I said yesterday on the programme, what is it? What is it? Is it, is, it, is it women discussing the issues of the day, or is it just a lot of women bashing men? Because that's what it seems to be on some of the programmes. I mean, I don't watch it all the time. I catch it every so often and they go, on oh, today's special guest is, and I think, oh, I did them weeks ago. Because we always get them first on, on In Conversation. Yesterday, when I got uh, Ian McShane, I was his first interview because I have the longest interview to do. And uh, we had a good chat. But I had no idea that he lived in, uh, in America. He's lived there for the past 35 years. You just assume people live here, don't you? You just assume people live here. Uh, Dan Wooten's always uh, loves outing people. I don't think he's ever outed himself, really. He's always outing everybody else. He apparently sort of outed Stephen Gately. And so now, in Calabro, they found another gay member. And uh, this is Jamie. Why it's of any interest, I can't imagine. I mean, I don't know why Dan is so obsessed with this kind of thing. What difference does it make? You don't out people in other groups as straight so why would, you, why would you say, oh, so-and-so's gay? I mean, is it only of interest to Dan Wooten? Has he just got some bizarre interest in this kind of thing? Because you sort of read it, and they, all it is is just made a big thing about, oh, they've all got regular girlfriends, except Jamie, who's the gay one? You know, perhaps they should paint him pink or something and give him a handbag to hold. I just don't understand why that's of any interest. They're a singing group, Dan. Are you obsessed with it? Are you single? I'm suspecting that maybe you could be, actually. I think more at the salad bar.
I mean that in a caring kind of way, as you can imagine. I like the, uh, the story of a boy who impaled his arm, wait for this, on a door handle. How do you impale your arm on a door handle? It's a horrendous picture. William Tattersall is 12. He was running down a hall when his left arm caught the handle and got stuck. It's gone right into his arm. The handle has got... I mean, you'd have to be running at some pace with your arms out, I would have thought. Anyway, the family are now changing the handles. I should think so, too. I think so, too. I'm not changing the boiler, though. I'm not changing the boiler. I'm looking at the pictures inside the salvage cruise ship. The corridor, the dining room, the bar, the lounge. It does... It is... It's it's the Titanic all over again, except this is a more recent ship, and the Titanic was, you know, 90 years ago, whatever it was, and is and it's only fascinating in the fact that it resides two miles down at the bottom of the ocean, and we're all fascinated by the Titanic, we're fascinated by the history of it, we're fascinated by the story of it, we were fascinated by the film, and the fact that they've been down and they've photographed the ship and they've gone into the corridors, and I've been to the exhibition in Vegas which has got, you know, it's got uh, sheets from the Titanic, it's got cutlery, it's got the photographs. It's just amazing. And then it's got a huge piece of the side of it, which they brought up from down there. It's called the big piece. And all the way through, you could just hear dripping water. Dripping water. 84850, steve at uk. Uh, there's a history fan who's in all the papers today who haggled the price of a tatty tool from £6 to £3 at a car boot and then found out it was an Egyptian mallet. 4,000 years old. 4,500 years old. So he, 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 this tatty tool, he got it for three quid. How much do you think it's worth now? £4,000. £4,000. Martin Jackson bought the wooden maul, used to carve temples from a stall of broken stuff you'd be ashamed to throw away in Northumberland. And, uh, and he's very happy with it. He's very, very happy with it, and he says it's, uh, it's absolutely fantastic, and he's going to sell it to pay for study trips to Egypt. So there you go. Every story has a, uh, has a bright, shiny lining, ladies and gentlemen. It's LBC. Tell you more to come on your early morning breakfast show. I'm here until 6.30, then we hand over to Lisa Aziz. Nick Ferrari's got uh, the breakfast show at 7 o'clock this morning with, uh, with Nicky Cox, MBE, who's going to be looking through the papers for today. Uh, all the papers running with the cabinet reshuffle. The headline for the Telegraph, Haig out in cull of middle-aged white men. Cheryl Cole plans to drop the name of her ex-husband, Ashley, and take the surname of her new partner, so she's going to be Cheryl Fernandez-Versini. Kieran Knightley says she was out of her comfort zone, taking her first major singing role in her latest film, Begin Again. And we've got more weird and wonderful stories from the papers. This is LBC. I'm Steve Allen. All of that and more is next. On FM, online, on your mobile, LBC. Morning, everybody. Tuesday morning in London town. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Nice to be I don't care where you are in the country, whether you're working, whether you're resting, whether you're going to hospital for an operation. It's, uh, it's the same for everybody. On the programme between now and 6.30, we'll go through the front pages of the morning papers. Uh, the French playboy with the eye for models, and uh, she has a penchant for bad boys. Yes, poor old Cheryl. Where can it go wrong, ladies and gentlemen? The answer is it can hugely go wrong, hugely go wrong, as she's got nothing in common with anybody at all, but it's given him a profile, which is something he didn't have before. And hey goes in the PM's cull. It's on the front of every paper. They analyse whether he was good as Foreign Secretary or whether he was just slightly invisible. That and more between now and 6.30.
Uh, plus, of course, we take all your uh, texts and emails. 84850 steve at The government trying to make sure that people who come over here for operations and surgery on the NHS will be paying, of course, seems doomed to failure. They can't make them pay now. The only way you can make them pay is to take credit card details up front. If you want to come here, you've either got medical insurance, which we can check on, or, failing that, you've got a credit card. If you have neither of those, you don't get any treatment. You know, couldn't care less, really. If you're well enough to get on a plane, you're well enough to get back on it and go back where you came from. Uh, Wonga have pulled the plug on their TV ad puppets that lure the young, so they're getting rid of the older couple, the, the pensioners, Betty Joyce and Earl. And now what they say is this makes uh, the cost of high-cost loans appealing to younger people. The church have distanced themselves from it. They've said it's utterly unacceptable to have these rates of interest. And then, of course, there was all this problem when sending out the, the letters and they've uh, agreed to pay, Wonga, that is, £2.6 million in compensation after chasing struggling customers with fake legal letters. But then, of course, it's so ridiculous that people get themselves into trouble nowadays, don't they? Because they go there. We had the guy who tried to rob from the bank by uh, banging his hand and fist against it and trying to steal it. And he was unemployed and was £9,000 in debt. Who on earth, what bank allows anybody to get 9000 in debt? You know, lots of people nowadays. They seem to let Kerry Coke, Toner and a few other people, Joe Swash, all high-profile names of people who've earned a lot of money and then just can't be bothered to put the money aside to pay for tax. I mean, frankly, it makes me sick to my stomach to watch these people on the television disport it. I mean, none of them look as though they've got any shame whatsoever. They couldn't care less. They've had the money, they've spent it. In this case, they've two fingers up to the rest of you because you're too stupid because you pay tax. So when you get the likes of of Kerry Katona, and you get the likes of... Oh, I've lost track of how many people have, have gone bankrupt. High-profile people go bankrupt. Joe Swash, I can't remember how many times he's been bankrupt. It might be once or twice. And uh, then there's Lawn Spice, uh, Spicer on the television as well. She does an antiques programme on the BBC. Another one declared himself bankrupt. Even, even Anthea Turner's sister went bankrupt as well, and her husband obviously seemed to sort of run in the family and people just don't, don't, but they couldn't care less nowadays. Why should they care? Only little people pay taxes, as Leona Helms we once said as we carted the old bag off to prison. Thousands of celebrities, sports stars and wealthy professionals will be warned today that you're going to face massive bills following a clampdown on the tax avoidance schemes. Uh, HMRC will identify the schemes only by their serial numbers. However, its list is understood to include the Liberty Scheme, reportedly used by a load of people. Michael Caine, Katie Melua, George Michael. 1,600 members they've got. 1,600 members. Also believed to include business tycoons, lawyers, doctors and other wealthy individuals. Wound up in 2009 when a tax loophole was closed. But a test case relating to members' tax avoidance is not due to be heard until next year. Uh, HMRC's clampdown is also thought to cover the so-called icebreaker schemes in which uh, Gary Barlow, Mark Owen, Howard Donald and their manager, Jonathan Wilde, reported to have invested some £28 million. Uh, The taxman believes 33,000 people and 10,000 companies are members of these schemes being published today. They reckon they owe an estimated £4.9 billion. Crikey. I didn't realise it was that much money. £4.9 billion. Uh, equal to an average of about £114,000 each, although some are thought to owe millions of pounds in tax. And they're going to be getting... Bi- Mind you, if you've got £28 million quid, why would you worry about £114,000? You're not going to be worried about something like that, are you? It's a case of, you know, they'll just write out a cheque, or some of them might fight it. 
Some of them might fight it. I don't know. But I'm sure that by the end of the week, they're going to start seeing names in the frames. They've already put other names up there. But as we've said before, I don't have a problem with people using these schemes. If they were legal, you know, and the government was stupid enough not to clamp down on them and say, no, these shouldn't be legal. They were done purely so that people, you know, we might, might use the, the term tax avoidance. I prefer to see it as being cautious with your money. We would all love to pay less tax, believe you me. I just paid my tax last night. I would love to have paid less, but I didn't. I paid what I owed, and I did it, and I did it graciously, because I've earned the money. If you earn the money, and if my accountant said to me, listen, if we put the remainder of your money here, as opposed to putting it into your bank account, why don't we put it into an offshore account, because then there are distinct advantages. You know, you can become a company, and you could do this and that. And I have had a company at one point. It got too complicated. I got paid dividends, and I didn't quite understand where I was going with it, so we stopped that one. And then we had a year where we did lots of one-man shows, and that took me over a tax threshold. And so that was one of the good reasons for sort of stopping doing them. Uh, mainly because you move into a different tax bracket and then it becomes complicated. I like things simple. Very, very simple. Uh, Talking of simple, uh, Joyce Sale was fined the other day uh, for stopping outside a school for seven seconds to deliver charity leaflets. Uh, Joyce was penalised after a warden in a CCTV car recorded her stopping on a zigzag road markings as she looked for somewhere to park. She didn't even get out of the car, quickly pulled away when a passerby pointed out the council's camera, and she was stunned when the parking fine dropped through the door. She said, I'd barely stopped the car. It was pouring with rain, and I was looking to see if there's somewhere to park on the school grounds. When I found out I'd been fined, I was appalled. It's another way of making money. I must admit that I stopped outside the school, but if you look at the incident as a whole, it's truly unnecessary. Yes, I mean, I quite understand exactly where she's coming from, but zigzag lines are a no-no. Not for one second, not for half a nanosecond, zero. It doesn't matter whether you're looking for a parking space or anything, you should not have stopped on the zigzag lines. Now, I realise that for seven seconds it seems a bit harsh, and somebody goes, get off, get off, there's a car over there, he's photographed you, you've been seen on it. She is a responsible driver. You know, she's 71. But if you do it... In New York, they have signs up on the side of the road. Don't park here for five minutes or five seconds. It's no parking. What is it about the word no? You're not understanding. She said she'd never been in trouble before. You're not in trouble. You've just parked in the wrong place. You do not park on zigzag lines. I'm sorry. It's, 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 you know, it's the law. All the hours chasing, all the hours of work chasing this must have cost them more than 70 quid. No, hardly any hours at all, darling. They do it in seconds. In other words, they have... They, they, they take a photograph of your car, the number plate. They've got your address up there immediately. There's no hours of chasing it. They just get your address and they send it to you in the post. Simple as that. I mean, you know, Birmingham City Council have said that drivers have the right to appeal. In this case... The process has been followed and the notice upheld. We'd like to point out that the safety and well-being of those travelling to and from schools is paramount and that parking restrictions, including zigzag lines, are important safety measures. Yes, I absolutely agree. You know, and it's, it's not just a case of wasting money. It's a case of she will now not park there ever again. Because if they just said, listen, uh, you get a warning and there's no fine, what deterrent is there? I don't care whether she's 71 and a retired, you know, what is she? She's a retired something... A retired care worker. What's that got to do with it? You know, she might be a funeral director. Who cares? It makes no difference what she does for a living or what she did for a living or whether she's responsible or whether she's ever been in trouble before. She broke the law. The law is do not park on these double lines. Not for, not for any time at all. OK? So, you know, don't start waving what you do for a living. Nobody cares. You know, you could be somebody who helps sort of the poor and disadvantaged in Selly Oak. 
Doesn't make any difference to me. All it means is, you know, people get stopped by the police all the time and every time they've got an excuse, oh, I was only doing this. Police officers the other day stopping people not wearing seatbelts. Why are you not wearing a seatbelt? I don't like wearing it. It's uncomfortable. Put it on. It's the law. It's the law. People don't seem to understand, do they? So whether you're 71, 190, Joyce, you broke the law. Seven seconds, one second, you broke the law. I mean, surely even you must realise you don't stop on zigzag lines. You know... I'm not here to point out the patently obvious, but what you did for a living and whether you're a marvellous person and you give to charity every year and you sort of you cook lovely cakes on a Friday doesn't make any difference at all. You've got a £70 fine. Pay it. Shut up. Don't do it again. Quarter past six. Steve Allen on LBC. LBC. Very interesting. You know, we were, we were suffering with the heat. Well, I say we were suffering with the heat. I was suffering with the heat yesterday. And it's going to get worse. But uh, Warren tells me in Dubai, it's already 42 degrees. 42 degrees. He said, that's why I'm leaving this morning. He flies for a living. He says, I know you don't care where people are, but in Dubai, it's 42 degrees. I can't think of anything worse, I'm afraid. 42, double it and add 30. Eight, oh, Lord above. 84, 38. Oh, it's a lot. Well in excess of 110 degrees. Thank you, no. Uh, Gary Craig celebrated his birthday the other day, so many happy returns. A long-standing listener, and he works at Feltham. And uh, over the years, the children's favourite character of all time, not Sooty, you might think, but Sean the Sheep. Obviously asking the wrong children. They need to ask people in my generation. Sooty was the one for us. In, the 19, in 1955, Sooty and Sweet were number one, 57... Uh, it was Captain Pugwash. Bill and Ben, 1952. I should like Bill and Ben, but they do... No, a bit before your time, isn't it? I think so. Actually, they, Bill and Ben and Weed uh, reside at the moment in the Museum of London. They're in a case where they celebrate children's television. If you haven't been to the Museum of London, I, I recommend it wholeheartedly. The Magic Roundabout, that was Jasper Carrot's famous B-side, which became an A-side. Funky moped on one side and Magic Roundabout on the other. And you'd play it in discos and people would stand there and listen to it and laugh. Camberwick Green and Trumpton and Chigley. I never did Chigley. Clangers. <whistles> that was Clangers all over the place. That was, that was quite funny. Paddington Bear in 1975 was number one. The Wombles hit in 73. Bagpuss I never liked at all. I didn't understand Bagpuss. 1974. Postman Pat was in 81. Pingu, in 86, he was quite good. I saw my friend Chris Jarvis on television the other day, dressed up as something, and I can't remember what, the, what it was, but it made me laugh. Willow the Wisp, I think voiced by Kenneth Williams. Brum was obviously some car. The Teletubbies were doing quite well in 97. Bob the Builder, can we fix it? Yes, we can, in 98. Uh, in the Night Garden is touring at the moment. It's just been in Richmond, and little children go along. Have you ever seen the Night in the Night? It's most peculiar program, but it's not aimed for people of our age. And it's got lots of characters, and the kids clapping and like that. They're so excited because they've seen these characters on the television. And here they are, come to life. So in the Night Garden is touring. Sarah and Duck. I don't even know what that is. Sarah and Duck. But number one, Sean the Sheep. 2007. So that's that's the one that we look at. Sean the Sheep. Oh, well. No accounting for taste, is there, I suppose. Uh, 84850, Steve, at lbc.co.uk. And um, apparently you can stop on zigzag road markings during the time shown on the parking control. Well, she didn't. And so she got caught. And, uh, and she got fined £70. And that's why there has to be a deterrent. There has to be a deterrent. Because if there isn't, nobody will ever bother, will they? 
Nobody will ever bother. They'll just sort of go and sit there, all the idiots. And so we have to, uh, we have to make sure that we, uh, that we find them, which is very good. Uh, 84850, steve at My boiler went, says Sandra. I tried to teach yourself bleed the radiator, broke the valve and flooded the lounge. Would a steam mop deodorise my carpet? I don't know, actually. I think you need to get a vax or something like that. <laughs> um, another one as well here. Um, talking about the fine and saying it's uh, it's... Uh, it's right that somebody should be fined. Because otherwise they'll just go, oh, I've had a slap on the wrist. But she's obviously moaned about it to the papers. But I'm, it's kind of tough, I'm afraid. You get fined 70 quid, just pay it and be quiet. It's Clive Bull's argument used to be when somebody used to say, I've just been fined for um, for speeding. And he'd go, were you speeding? Yes. Well, what were you moaning about then? You got fined for it. You know if you speed and the police catch you. I saw somebody in Twickenham the other day and they were driving down the bus lane. And I thought, should I say to him, because his window was open, you're going to get fined. There's an automatic fine for being in a bus lane. I thought, nah, to hell with it. He was driving a Fiat. I thought, he's, he's suffered already, and that's add to his misery. Uh, what a bizarre story, says Lynn. The prison deputy chief and her daughters. Yeah, nice little people. Uh, John says, I would bait rat traps with Marmite. If they like the taste of it, they deserve to die. <laughs> Marmite. It is that funny thing, isn't it? And uh, Kevin the Milkman says, happy birthday, Junior. Here's to many, many, many more. Ian says, I had a colleague who had a tame white rat. Oh, so, it wouldn't, no, not, not for us at all, I'm afraid. We don't do that. And then Dan says, the high-pitched mice repellents are the best and cleanest way of dealing with them. Plus, it doesn't kill them. They just go around going, I can't hear anything, I can't hear. That's what mice are like now. They just gang up on you, don't they? And they just moan, 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 moan. Part of the challenge with free NHS treatment is that too many doctors believe that medicines and drugs should be free, says Ian. Oh, no, I think we should pay for it. Where do you think the money's going to come from all the time? Where is the money going to come from? People have, got to, people have got to try and sort of put some money back in. We don't want to start treating foreign people turning up for all these expensive things. We have to make sure that we've actually got, you know, enough money to make sure that everybody else gets things done. Uh, 84850. Celebrity Joe Swash, says Jeff. Are you mad? Talentless and boring. Shelf stacker, born to be. Well, I think sh- stacking shelves, actually, is quite, uh, quite challenging. It'll be challenging Chantelle when she eventually has to get round to having a job. That'll be quite funny, won't it? Um, what's the name of the documentary you made about Disney World? Oh, it was ages ago. It's not even, I think, on the LBC... Well, it's definitely not on the LBC system. I did various. I did a whole series on a place in the country looking at the National Trust properties. I did a documentary on Disney, which actually was very nice. Very, very good. Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Emma talks about, uh, uh, mice and says perhaps the producer should buy a few snakes. Oh, I think that'd be even worse. She doesn't watch them being eaten. She, doesn't, she can't even bear them being killed. So she definitely doesn't want to go down that route, I'm afraid. Definitely not. Although, I mean, there was that woman in Australia who came back to discover that a snake had got into the house and it was eating the pet dog. She saw the dog disappearing into the snake's mouth. That, uh, that's awful. I mean, I, things like that. That's why it frightens me. I do get frightened by stuff like that. I don't know why. I shouldn't be. Weather for today. Currently 19 degrees. It'll rise to 24 so, 48, 78, just under 80 degrees today. Ugh, awful. Dry with sunny spells. <laughs> Feeling pleasantly very warm, but onshore breezes by the afternoon would keep coastal areas cooler. Mainly dry tomorrow with sunny spells. The chance of the odd shower later in the day. Very warm or hot inland, but cooler around the coast. Which is the same as coastal areas cooler, which sounds lovely, doesn't it? Always sounds very exotic. So, today we're going to talk to Oz Clark about wine. Trying to keep the producer away from the bottles is going to be the, the main problem we have this morning, but I'm sure we shall manage it. Uh, yesterday we did Ian McShane, and then tomorrow we've got Michelle Monet from the, uh, is it Altissimo Bras? 
We're talking about setting up a business and, uh, and some advice for those people who need advice with setting up a business. Front pages of the papers, and uh, I can tell you that uh, it's the purge of the middle-aged men on the front of the mail today. Ruthless Cameron wielding the knife in the cabinet bloodbath. Uh, Haig, Clark and the Lord Chief ousted now for the rise of women and they highlight Esther McVeigh. The sun coal dropped again. Newlywed Cheryl Cole, who should have really been Cheryl Tweedy, um, plans to banish her love rat ex-husband Ashley from her life for good by dropping his last name. It's funny, she's hung on to it for years, hasn't she? And now she's going, oh, I'm going to drop it. And she's uh, very unwisely flashed a picture of her uh, of her diamond ring, worth, they say, £300,000. I mean, that really is one of the dumbest things to do, almost as bad as Colleen Rooney going abroad and showing you all of her luggage. Is that about it for this morning, I think? So, one minute left, thank you. So, uh, that's about it for this morning. Puzzles, best way to fight dementia. So, simple puzzles and card games. There you go. We're in a home at the moment. Card games. People like playing cards, don't they? And uh, the foreigners to face the 150% bill for using the NHS. Uh, £13,000 for a hip operation, 2200 for having a baby, 2800 for a cataract. I'm assuming if you've got 13000 for a hip operation, you'll stay in your own country. Probably get it cheaper. And for a cataract, 2800 Will they pay? Of course they won't. They're not paying now. Why should they start paying? The only thing you can do to guarantee payment is to make sure you take a credit card detail before anybody goes into surgery. Or they've got insurance. But the whole idea of them coming here is because they know they won't have to pay for it. They just skip out of the country. I don't know why the government don't see that. It's patently obvious to me. You take a credit card and you get the details. Uh, I'm going to be back with you tomorrow morning at four. Free podcast for you up very shortly. LBC app on the LBC website. Nick Ferrari and the team will be here just after the news at seven. And Nicky Cox will be looking at the papers. Next, the morning news with Lisa Aziz. This is LBC.